I'm Joe White, voice actor for Chris Redfield. You'll find me nowhere near this edition of the Crimson Head Elder podcast, for it is a villain's special, showcasing some of Resident Evil's most sinister antagonists and commencing with Alexia Ashford actress Leela Johnson. Finding that relationship or core compassion is the beginning of me becoming the character. And at the core of ANA's relationship, there is a lack of individuation. The story of Alexia and Alfred is as old as mythology, refined by Shakespeare, and I would say savored by Hitchcock. Mm. And dare I say, we can even feel the queen and alfred in mad max fury road from an artistic perspective it's a dream come true to create something and have it so valued well these are the things that tie me to what jack kerouac calls the golden entity Alexia is my personal shadow, the part of me that can be fearless and should have some entitlement 
the dark part of me that needs to be known too. She is my queen. Let me unravel her. Let me discover her. Let me be able to relate to her. And through the imagination and through my own personal life experience, I, yeah. I bring forward the character. That laugh, that laugh. I wanted that laugh to be as if life was being drawn out of her and a place for her pain. Welcome to the 8th Crimson Head Elder Podcast, Villains Edition, showcasing three of Resident Evil's most iconic antagonists. We exclusively interview Sally Cahill, actress for Ada Wong, and Gary Crawford, the insidious Chief Irons. But we commence our festival of foes with Capcom's Queen Antagonist, and Queen Alexia Ashford, and of course, the wonderfully talented actress to play this terrifying villain, Leela Johnson, Halloween Greetings. I am so thrilled. It feels great to finally connect with the RE fan base. I'm just so excited to see and realize how big the RE fan base is yeah. and how well these characters have been living with us all and you know it's a whole new world for me and I, i'm i'm just so excited i'm like a kid in a candy shop <laughs> of just like ooh, what next it was fascinating actually looking through your twitter feed you wouldn't necessarily associate a lot of your work and your travels and your passions with something that involves lots of guys and girls staying in their rooms not going outside and <laughs> staring at staring at a video screen <laughs> Yes, there's uh, within me lies multitudes. Let me just say that, I suppose. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah uh, multidimensional life, I must say. You know, over the years, I, I've certainly uh, I've been contacted from all over the world. It's it's such a beautiful. Um, you know, I have to say that the fan base is really quite touching, and I, I have to I, I will absolutely say the Resident Evil fan base has been one of the highlights of my career. Oh it's, wow. Yeah, I mean, That's it's great just, to hear. the fans of Resident Evil, it just, um, you know, it's like no other. And it's a mm. real community. And, yeah. uh, you know, through the years, I've, I've been contacted by, you know, different countries, different websites, different yes. people. And, um, <laughs> you know, it, it, for me, it's only been um, an absolute positive. And uh, I mean, it's just, I, I mean, to say it's made my day is, is an understatement. Oh, wow. it, it just, you know, it just lights me up so much. And, you know, I also have to say, particularly with Resident Evil, you know, we were given these very vague roles. And I yes. would say that, you know, you know, we really did originate these characters. And mm. my beloved Alexia, she is she's obviously a villain. And I obviously <laughs> do not like to be thought of as a villain. But, you know, <laughs> there is this shadow part of me that got to be played out with her. And okay. um, I'm a big youngin, And so I do I'm in. I'm in the school of thought that there's a shadow in all of us. And okay. so that was, you know, for me, that was just so wonderful to express <laughs> because I, 
I came to acting because I was so incredibly shy. Um, oh. I, I didn't speak. I didn't have a voice. So being able to... I'm playing assume, Alexia. Wow. Yeah. yeah. To, to, actually, I would say playing Alexia was the first time I actually really was able to connect to my shadow, my anger, my frustration. Um, you know, I'm a reserved Canadian by nature. We just yeah. don't, we don't express ourselves. No. Yeah, well, I was going to say we never would have had Alexia down as, as, a, as a reserved Canadian. Wow. That, I mean, and hearing all that passion in your voice is wonderful. <sighs> We're safe now. Think again, Claire. I shall enjoy watching you shriek in agony. Not this time! And, you know, thanks to you for having a website and a fan base and a place where we can all go, including yeah. the, the VO actors. I mean, thanks to you for, for having this milieu for us. It's a pleasure and, and a privilege. Thank you so much. And it wouldn't work without the massive generosity and positive response that I get on immediate contact from what is a cold call. And you guys have universally been absolutely fantastic with me and, and all of the fans. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure and thank you so much for joining us. We've had over a thousand hits at our website and greatly excited hype in response to our Twitter call to arms for all your soldiers to submit questions to their Queen. From right across the globe, your multinational fans in the Resident Evil community have come to Crimson Head Elder to ask you a varied range of thought-provoking questions. Wow. So... <laughs> <laughs> yes, please, bring it on. Okay, well... Well, first question comes from Vito. He's from Tijuana in Mexico. And he asks, at which stage did Capcom direct you that your initial lines, whilst voiced by you, would be played through the delusions of another significantly male character? How did it feel upon hearing your voice being projected through this male character, your psychopathic brother, Alfred? Vito, good questions. I can't remember exactly how it all went down as it was also new to me, just freshly crowned and saying yes to everything. However flattering it was to discover, but having the voice emerge through Alfred only makes perfect sense. What interested me was you weren't even sure whether it was through Alfred or whether it was, you know, this, this mysterious sister. And one thing I quickly wanted to ask you, Lilo, I, I saw a film, this horror suspense film from the 80s, and there was this artist chap who was a sculpturer, and someone came, I think, to do an interview, and there was this mysterious sister that was in the adjoining, it was like an estate, and in the adjoining house was the sister that no one ever talked about, and you used to see this shadowy, mysterious figure at the curtain. It's since transpired that he was actually the brother dressing up as his sister, and the, the culmination was one of his sculptures crashes to the ground, and, he, and you've got the sister's skeleton in, in, in the sculpture. It was awfully creepy. Oh, um, yes, yes. <laughs> We, we really must find out what film this is. I'll let you know. If we, if we ever do track it down, I'll let you know. Going back to in terms of how much background narrative Capcom furnished you with to begin with, were you aware of this, this situation with Alfred the brother being delusional? It really was a creative process, and we were unraveling things as we went along with it. And uh, so new information was just coming in all the time and wasn't exactly sure how it was going to be solidified and played out, but it was in the mix. 
I'm really glad that they went with that choice because I think it's a smart choice and I, I think it's very uh, appropriate and does make perfect sense. It has one of the most peculiar, eccentric narrative, which I think was mm. extremely brave and a very strong narrative and very, yes. very original. Yes. Yes. Le leading up to this, you'd had very good, but all bit generic narratives in, you know, a spooky mansion in, in Resident Evil. Then you have the virus outbreak in two and three. I mean, Code Veronica really kind of almost went left field with the characters. Absolutely. I mean, there is immense depth to Code Veronica. And I think this is what we actually all resonate with. There's there's a real storyline. There's there's characters that are really getting uh, developed and played out. Mm. And um, absolutely, I think it, it came from a very uh, mythical place and it transported us. And I think this is one of the things we all relate to with, with that game. Leading on from Vito's question, Morpheus Duval from Brazil, he asks, was it a greater challenge to have to voice Alexia through the delusions of another character? No, it wasn't more of a challenge. It, it honestly just really made sense to me. And I felt uh, this was her getting expressed even more. Mm. And I trusted the creative process. Yeah. Imagination is an amazing thing, isn't it? Well, absolutely. And we can hear it coming through in your voice and what it did for you and how you've clearly as an artist connected with that story and I think we're going to definitely hear that come out in your answer to this question because James Marcus from Columbia he asks what do you think of Alexia's fascinatingly peculiar narrative defining relationship with her brother Alfred? <laughs> Great question James. Um, you know I hope not to judge the characters I play. I like to instead try to ask myself is there anything here I can relate to or what have I personally witnessed that's at the essence of this? Was that perhaps a challenge with a character such as Alexia? Well, not really, actually. If you can believe it, I'm going <laughs> to say no. Um, because, you know, when I ask myself this question, the answer usually is yes, a big yes. And finding that relationship or core compassion is, is the beginning of me becoming the character. And at the core of ANA's relationship, there is a, a lack of hmm, a lack of individuation and weak family boundaries. And right away, I can relate to that within my own family. My father crossed boundaries and married my mother's sister, which is so peculiar, defining, yes, absolutely defining. And who we are, um, we are because of our family dynamics. There's no way out of it. Yes. Only only liberated through it. Right. Mm. So the individuation process, as Young called it, is the utmost important thing for me. And where my character is within her own process is super, super revealing. Mm. And I think and I could be wrong here, but Alexia seeking her freedom through external actions as opposed to attending to her own inner alignment first overlooking her, her individuation process, I believe ultimately was the downfall for her. If you are seeing this message, that can only mean that Code Veronica has reached a critical stage. The year is 1983, and I am afraid that my only daughter has become obsessed with the Veronica virus. She has even got to the point of experimenting on her own body. My daughter dreams of unleashing this thing into the world. 
This last step is the only way I can think of to help her. Whether you are on Umbrella's side or not, please help her. Arles from South America, he asks, based on your life experiences in the intervening years since Code Veronica's release, and with the benefit of hindsight, would you approach the role of Alexia any differently if you were cast in the role today? Ah, yes, the privilege of retrospect, right? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Um, Well, if I can be frank, to start with, I would have my agent negotiate a better contract. (laughs) Wouldn't we all? (laughs) Yes. Yes, yes. Without going into inappropriate detail, I think it's safe to say you wouldn't be alone amongst your fellow Resident Evil acting peers in saying that. Yes, thank you. Bless the Canadian Union. Um, however, it, uh, it needs to strengthen its forces, and I will leave it as that. But I don't think any of us going in knew what it was. And it was also vague and new to me. Okay. I was just so grateful to have the gig, um, as it was my first VO audition. Oh, wow. Uh, oh, quite a, a strong character to, to, to come into as, you, as, as your first one in, in, in video game. And also because you can get certain video games because of their gameplay, mainly combat orientated, where you just make groans and grunts and shouts and screams and very basic dialogue. But Alexia, there's a full narrative there that, and there's a lot of dialogue there. Yes, yes. It was my very first VO audition and I booked the gig and I was just beyond grateful. Um, however, secondly, in hindsight, I would like to have probably explored more moments of her with vulnerability. Or maybe that's just where I'd like to see her now. Hearing in your voice your appreciation for the character, the way that you've connected with it, but not only that, your sincere appetite to see the character developed in certain ways without bringing the, the, this fantastic atmosphere of this interview down, just how, and it has to, but it does have to be said, just how tragic that Capcom didn't recast you in the role for Dark Side Chronicles. There they have in their hands an actress that, in terms of attitude and understanding, is going way beyond the call of duty in, in terms of what she needs to do. And your understanding of the character as well, they, they would have got so much more than whoever they've recast it with uh, just simply could not have come to the character having that knowledge and appreciation for it. Oh, the more fool for Capcom and, and oh, the poorer Dark Side Chronicles for that. Thank you. That's um, very nice of you to say. I, uh, I'm saddened that I wasn't able to continue with the journey with her. At the very least, draw comfort from the fact that it wasn't a continuing narrative. So you didn't not only did you not miss out in that sense because it was a an on rails game retelling the same narrative just through a combat orientated gameplay without any choice for the player to choose where they go. And not only that, because of that style of gameplay, the dialogue would have been quite limited. Mm. So it wasn't received well, and there was, certainly wasn't an experience that you missed out on there. Now you're just being nice. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. A couple more questions from Arles. He goes on to ask, are there any little known facts about the recording process for Code Veronica that you'd like to share with the fans? Oh, yes, with pleasure. (laughs) Do tell. I'm rubbing my hand. (laughs) Drop some gossip on your Mm. actors. (laughs) Um, Well, I remember the sound booth and recording studio chock full. You knew something special was was emerging. Ah. Mm-hmm. Not another person could fit in. Capcom seemed to have 
their entire executive team there, lots of men in suits. <laughs> a lot of direction came from the men in suits to the director, then yes. through the translator, and finally passed down and through the Canadian casting director. Okay. In Mm -hmm. I was almost thinking of a game of Chinese whispers there. It's just well, like Japanese I, whispers. <laughs> I was just going to say, in some moments, I thought we were playing the telephone game. Ah, oh, yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. But um, another little uh, little fact is that I was the VO for at least half the dying zombies as well. I don't know if that's known or not. but no, um, I didn't know that. Yeah, that, that is me dying as a zombie. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> oh, wow. I feel I feel almost guilty that during the podcast, people are going to be hearing interjecting during the interview your fantastic cutscenes uh, with your powerful delivery. But they'll only be from Alexia. There won't be many zombies. I'll have to quickly go and find some. <laughs> oh, well, we may just need to do another interview. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so did you know that coming? Was that sprung on you, or did you know that? I it was sprung on me again you know i was just so wide-eyed and open and i was the yes girl uh first vo audition first vo gig um i i was just saying yes to everything <laughs> interesting you refer to them in, in suits because were you aware of any of the particular japanese developers from capcom in the recording process did any of them interject with you directly and what level of direction did they give you during that process? Uh, they were definitely there. And um, I have such a visual of these men in suits. It's, that in itself almost feels like a, a video game, a movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, they didn't speak English to me. They had a translator and then that translator um, related it to the Canadian casting director. So nothing was actually said to me directly, okay. uh, which in itself is a very interesting process. Uh, usually actresses and directors and, and producers, we, we tend to develop intimate relation on set while shooting because very, very intimate direction and information is, is, uh, is, is given between director and, and actress or producer and actress. So it definitely was a new, new experience for me. Yeah. And did you have much interaction with your fellow actors? We we all saw each other in the passing, in the waiting room, uh, coming out of the recording booth. It wasn't like how it normally is uh, for actors being on set. I'm a, I'm a classically trained actor, and most of my career has been in front of the camera for film or television. And uh, under those jobs, you're spending 18 hours days uh, easily with your fellow workers. So it's very easy to get to know somebody very quickly. Uh, with VO work, it's mostly you in the room yeah. alone. Yeah. We hear this universally, and I've always mm -hmm. imagined it must provide you as the artist with an additional challenge. Well, once again, the power of the imagination. It's mm. so beautiful, isn't it? Um, and, and again, though, you know, when an actor's on set and it's the 15th hour and they've had to send other people home, you're not always acting opposite your leading man. Sometimes it's the top of the camera with an orange sticker. So, um, <laughs> you know, it wasn't too unfamiliar not to be acting opposite someone. In some ways, I, I actually quite enjoy that because it really then becomes about what I'm creating 
I don't have to be responsible in that moment for interpreting or taking in what somebody else is doing. This really is my moment. This is my time to be creative and to put forward my imagination. So uh, I really enjoyed the process. That's tied into Owls' last question, which she asks, how often do you reflect back on, on that experience? Well, yeah, and these are great questions. Um, whenever I hear how much people connected to the game, it really, really warms me. It truly does. It was such a fantastic and fascinating experience for me. And as it was my very first VO audition that I just happened to book, I was so elated. And you know that excited feeling you get when you travel somewhere wonderfully exotic and new and you become very present and you, you, you sit in your bones differently. Mm. Well, the whole experience was that for me. Oh, I was wow. just so wide-eyed and didn't know what was next. Hearing that the strength in your delivery of Alexia's lines, you would not think that at all. I mean, I was quite <laughs> surprised to see how young you were when you recorded that, and now hearing additionally that it was your first gig. Yes. And you just got, you know, wide-eyed. But looking back, I'm sure, please don't be modest, you know what I'm referring to when I talk about that's the strength of that and the power of that delivery. Oh, that is so, so kind of you to say. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Code Veronica is one of my favourite Resident Evil games for that unique narrative, left field narrative, the characters, which I wasn't at the time expecting to get such strong and interesting characters that were, were, were not generic heroes and generic antagonists. So, so well put. Left field narrative, brilliantly put. Yes, I, I couldn't agree with you more here. I think that's one thing why we do have this global fan base of fans that still... Yes connect with 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 that story you're playing more than just someone that voices lines on a video game a deeper uh, more varied backstory and biography than the many characters that we see in soap operas that is so exciting to hear crimson elder he asks did code veronica's narrative or its themes remind you of any other project for instance the fact that alfred portrays his sister by dressing up as her reminds me of alfred hitchcock's psycho such a great observation. My goodness, I agree with you 100%. You know, I, I, think, I think in all great storytelling, there are big familiar archetypes. And I believe these recurring familiarities come from a single inherent deep question, which is, how do we carry the human spirit forward? The story of Alexia and Alfred is as old as mythology, refined by Shakespeare and, and I would say savored by Hitchcock. And dare I say, we can even feel the Queen and Alfred in, in Mad Max, Fury Road, which is one of my most current favorite movies, by the way. It's fantastic. And so, okay, no one is dressing up as his sister, however, in it. But there are definite elements of unusual rituals around self-preservation and saving the alter ego. Survive. We are not 
I'm always picking on him for coming from Wales, so he'll be pleased that you that you liked his questions. Um, <laughs> um, your Alexia has enjoyed some of the most iconic moments in the timeline of Resident Evil, including Alexia's awakening, Alexia's transformation, and we will come on to this, and two versions of an antagonist unification bout with Albert Wesker. Do you have a favourite moment from Code Veronica? Mm. Oh, yes, definitely, without a doubt. A climax moment, I would say. Okay. When Alexia says, how do you wish to die? That is priceless. It gets me every time. <laughs> Said the spider to the fly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Alexia. That is how I dispose of insignificant bugs. Said the spider to the fly. How do you wish to die? <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic the way she toys, and there's that that theme throughout um, the way that her and Alfred sort of toy with their prey. Mm, mm-hmm. Well put. This game is not over yet. Now you will see what real terror is all about. Last question from Crimson Elder. Over the years, have you had opportunity to connect with other Resident Evil sites and fans and to discuss what the character has meant to you as your career has moved on from working with Capcom? Mm. This is the first official interview I've done. Oh, and wow. Yes. I mean, I'm, I'm honoured, but surprised as well. Yes, I am so happy to be connecting with you all. It's such great questions uh, and so much love here. Truly, the RE fan base has, without a doubt, been one of the highlights in my career. This is a real community here. Which, yes. Yes, which makes it, well, I almost lose words for it. Um, not only does it add to my personal sense of embeddedness, but uh, from an artistic perspective, it's a dream come true. To create something and have it so valued, well... These are the things that tie me to what Jack Kerouac calls the golden entity. That's one of the things that drew me to the series, and it's what inspires me to showcase you guys as the true representation actors and actresses of the Resident Evil characters. The fact that there is that huge community, there is that sense of community. It's just wonderful that with your generosity, the way that you give up your time for us, that we can then bring all of those fans across the world, all these different and varied questions together, and it sounds like it has come as a little surprise to you at parts, just show you how fondly you're remembered and how very much still relevant Code Veronica is and strong in our hearts today. Oh, it's, it's, I really had no idea. <laughs> it's nothing but a positive thing. Because of the strength of the character that you play, almost exclusively all of these questions are relating to yourself as an artist and your relationship with the character. Arles and Samurai Edge from New York, you're part of the world. Mm-hmm, yes. They ask, do you identify with any of the character traits Alexia displays throughout Code Veronica's narrative? Absolutely. I am, you know, I am such an introvert and deeply shy person. Alexia is my personal shadow. The part of me that can be fearless and should have some entitlement. The dark part of me that needs to be known too. She is, she is my queen. I almost felt guilty <laughs> asking an act a question of, of such a character. Uh, 
Yeah, I am. I am so glad they asked. And absolutely, <laughs> within me lies multitudes. Uh, that's such a joy to know because I was a little bit nervous <laughs> putting that question to you. No, no, it's it's a fantastic <laughs> question. Absolutely, she is my queen, my queen when enraged, and it is so wonderful and such a great opportunity to explore the shadow in a healthy and safe way. Oh, fantastic! <laughs> it's Alexia. Alexia, there really is an Alexia. <laughs> It is almost time, you genetically inferior siblings. <laughs> After her, she might know where Steve is. Let's go. You've answered this uh, so well with such warmth, but she's one of our staff members and she'll never forgive me if I don't ask it. <laughs> From Pennsylvania, the Oracle Dragon, and she says you're one of her favourite voice actresses and she's been so hyped looking forward to this interview. She asks, were you aware of Alexia's iconic popularity and continuing legendary status throughout the years as many other generic series villains have come and gone? Oh, my goodness, no. I really, certainly, not to its valued extent. I had no idea. And it sounds like there is so much more for me to learn, which is, is very exciting in itself. I, I truly, I, I live like a hermit life. <laughs> I, 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 although I'm, I'm based out of very hip places like Los Angeles and New York City. Yes. Through the years, though, I've, I've often retreated and been off the grid, and for long periods of time, I'm, I'm just such a natural recluse. I, uh, I lived 20 years in Los Angeles without a television, and. Uh, oh well, you know, well, that, that, I mean, that's both a challenge and a virtue. I certainly wouldn't use the word hermit to describe someone that doesn't have a television and doesn't play video games. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes it really does take me a while to be brave to come out of my shell and see what the world has been up to. And uh, uh, that's my comfort zone is kind of to disconnect from from everything and everyone. <laughs> The Oracle Dragon, she points out that in the original Dreamcast version of Code Veronica, Alexia, in a cutscene after she comes down the stairs and you, you so powerfully voice those lines, she was able to beat up the big boss antagonist, Albert Wesker. She basically hands his ass to him on a plate. Whereas when Code Veronica came out a year later for the PlayStation 2 and they added a couple of cutscenes, they extended Albert Wesker's role in the game. In that version of that cutscene, Wesker gets almost the better of Alexia and certainly doesn't have the slapping that she gives him in the original version. Did, did you know of this, this redirection? Were you surprised that they changed that from the original version? No, I, I didn't know of this director's cut. Ah, um, so you weren't asked back to do any additional voice work then? No, no, I wasn't. Um, you know, there's so many things here that I'm not aware of. The, the many secrets of Code Veronica. <laughs> well, I think they simply did it because you showed up Albert Wesker, who wasn't, as I say, was meant to be the big, untouchable main antagonist, Royale. And he, quite frankly, like I say, gets put over Alexia's knee and she gives him a good spanking. And I'm, put, you know, I'm, I'm putting that politely. And so I don't know if someone at Capcom thought, well, hang on a minute. We can't have our number one antagonist go out like that. He beats an early retreat when he sees that really Alexia is more than his match, but he doesn't quite get the slap that he does in the original version. Well, I will definitely take that. <laughs> <laughs> At last, I found you, Alexia. Come with me. 
You're responsible for the creation of the T-Veronica virus. And now the only existing sample is in your body. I want it. Now! You want it? You are not worthy of its power! <laughs> well, leading on from that, it does sound like you had to do a lot of the work yourself on the hop and searching within your own life experiences to play the role. The Oracle Dragon's final question, she asks, how much character biography did Capcom furnish you with in order to open up an insight into Alexia's character, her psyche, her motivations, her, her family heritage that we have discussed is so rich, and that signature relationship with her brother Alfred? Actually, you know, they didn't give that much. Less furnishings than a TV script, I would say. So as actors, we were really able to play, design, create, and imagine a part of me was definitely birthed in the making of Alexia. She is so very dear to me. That helped your performance rather than hindered it. I feel it empowered me to create something that meant something very dear to me. And do you think that's what gave you the additional confidence with a first gig to voice some of the lines in the way that you delivered them, the lines that Alexia delivers as she's walking down the stairs? That's a very good point, and I will take that as well. <laughs> Because that's a fantastically iconic moment when she does transform for the first time and she comes down the stairs. Yes, I love that moment. That was so much fun to play. When actors are getting over-directed or the scene is overwritten or the character is over-detailed, it almost goes farther away from the performer. So how I work best is let me, let me, uh, let me unravel her. Let me discover her. Let me be able to relate to her. And of course, again, I, I'm using this word a lot, but through the imagination and through my own personal life experience, I, yeah. I bring forward the character. You were able to do that with the shackles off. With the shackles off, exactly. Yeah. Okay, fascinating. Quite a challenge and, and a daunting challenge at that. Such a strong character. I come from a, a classical theatre training background. Yes. Um, so for me, I, I tackled the role as if I was taking on Shakespeare or one of the great playwrights. To me, this was this was an iconic yeah. part, and it deserved deserved the full stage. More and more talking to you, Leela, I just feel that Capcom was so bloody lucky that they just had almost fallen into their lap. This actress who not only understood and connected with the character, but you mentioned about that Shakespearean background and were open-minded enough and modest enough to take that professionalism to Alexia's character. How wonderful that you're right. I'm pleased that, to hear you say it, that she deserved that attitude and that outlook because she is, is more than just a generic antagonist. Still to this day, I think one of the most original antagonists across video games for a long time. Oh, wow, that's so exciting to hear. Thank you. Yes, she, she definitely deserved the, to be center stage. Vosk from Mexico, he asks, Alexia is my favorite Resident Evil villain. I have a few questions for the Queen, starting with, have you ever thought about adding any other scenes or any other dialogue to expand your character, perhaps in your own imagination? If so, what scenes or what extra dialogue could you imagine adding? Hmm, good question. <laughs> well, if it was up to me, I, I would definitely love to expand the narrative. And I would love to see the Queen with a love interest. Uh, Wouldn't you? I mean, can't you imagine? Uh, well, I almost, well, I feel sorry for him, but... 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you'd certainly know who is wearing the trousers in that relationship, I think. <laughs> uh, or, with, or with Alfred, who's wearing the dress. Yes. <laughs> Still joking aside, that's a fascinating answer because as you say that, I'm scratching back in my memory anything that alluded to that during the game. And obviously there's Alfred's infatuation with his sister, but Alexia almost, to me, is quite aloof in terms of her relationships with the others around her. Right. Who do you think she would fall in love with? Wow. Well, from the game, I certainly I think it would have to be another antagonist. Albert Wesker is probably the only man that could ever come close to matching up or, or keeping up with Alexia's pace. Really? But what if, and dare I say, what if, what if she fell in love with one of the protagonists? It's a strange mix, isn't it? Somehow, I don't know, I feel like somehow there's somewhere in her that that just might happen. She never had a chance with her upbringing as this intense education and this intense training, this young prodigy, her fractured relationship with her father, I think, may play into that. I'm trying to think of any protagonist that wouldn't just, you know, crack, <laughs> just, just wouldn't crack on, the first, on, a, on a first date. That she uh, wouldn't just eat alive yeah. meal. And there's a few protagonists, yeah. I'd love to see her eat alive. Yeah, some of the wetter men. Yeah, I'd love to see her eat alive. Leon. Interesting, yes. Yeah, it's yeah. something I would I would definitely love to explore. What's interesting, and I'm not just saying this to be politically correct, the reason I drew a blank when you mentioned protagonists, in terms of her strength, it's actually only the female characters, female protagonists, having that strength to forge a relationship with Alexia. So if she was to have one with a protagonist, I think more likely and more fitting for her character, I think she would certainly be attracted to one of the strong female protagonists. Claire Redfield in the game, that would play quite interestingly. Certainly a, a good way to wind up Steve, who she ends up killing, who fell in love with Claire. Maybe she swings both ways, protagonist and antagonist. Before the fanboys start getting excited, I'm, I, you know, I'm saying <laughs> I'm old enough to be able to say that in a, in a, in a respectful and educated way. <laughs> OK, mo yeah, moving swiftly on. Yes. Yoke asks, do you like insects? Well, personally, though, I do love insects. And I am a nature freak. Put a snake in front of me and I am a happy gal. <laughs> uh, so again, I have yet one more thing in common with the queen. Ah, that's interesting. Well, you just mentioned nature. Yoke does like his left field questions. He asks, what's your favourite kind of flower? A pond lily or a garden rose. Okay. And last question from Yoke. Would you rather be a queen or continue being an actress? <laughs> <laughs> These are such good questions. Oh my goodness. This, this is a tough one though. Um, I, think, I think I may have to go with Queen. Then I can order around the producers to hire me as an actress, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a little bit more forgiving than Alexia, I would hope. <laughs> <laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> well, oh, oh you, wouldn't have many su you wouldn't have many subjects left. <laughs> no, no. I <laughs> Okay, now I'm not sure if this is a part of the world that you grew up in. A lot of your peers are from Canada. Christine, one of your biggest fans from Ontario, she says, Code Veronica is one of my all-time favourite games. So, of course, to me, Alexia is one of those majorly iconic antagonists who will always hold a place in my heart. I love her and I hate her. And to this day, she's still my top female villain. Really looking forward to this interview. Long live the Queen. On to her question. Do you sympathise with Alexia and Alfred's backstory? And was it an entertaining surprise to play Alfred's alter ego too? Ah, oh, Christine, thank you. This is uh, amazing to hear. Thank you so much for your words. 
Yes, I actually am from Ontario, from Toronto originally. I love it. Yes, it was a great surprise to play both. Uh, yet how could, I, how could it, it be anything else, though, I think? You rose to the challenge rather than shirk from it and uh, almost be intimidated by it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> okay, what did you think of what Alfred and Alexia did to their father? Do you think it was justified considering the way he raised them? Hmm, well, I think A&A found their reasons in their own world to justify it. Yes, yes. You certainly can see from their point of view and, and the way that they were brought up that they had every... Well, they certainly didn't have any emotional attachment with their father when making such a decision. And Christine goes on to ask, considering you played such a strong and intimidating character, did you have fun putting yourself in her shoes? I had tremendous fun playing her. One of the most beloved characters I've had the privilege to know so intimately. That was my first and only voiceover audition. I was never given another voiceover audition. Quite astonishing to hear. Just thinking back to the way that you'd played the role and the type of character that it was and the strength of that character and the way that it resonated with the fans throughout, I'm surprised that I, I'm, I'm surprised to hear that. Thank you. So am I a bit. Yeah, I, I mean, I love doing the work. And, um, you know, this is just maybe where it is right now. And I'm hoping that um, something will come in the future. You know, I don't know if you watched the Oscars this year, but there, there was certainly a lot of talk about diversity. And, yes, and, yes. Um, mm -hmm. well, or lack, lack of it, absolutely. And lack of it. You mentioned diversity. Do you think what's gone against you is the fact that you played such a strong and intimidating female antagonist? I think uh, strong female antagonists and protagonists. Um, this is where we are with both on camera and off camera. I think there's a huge demand for it. I, I, I think, however, Hollywood does lack diversity and... And it's tough for everyone. And even for those who have had the jobs, it's, um, there becomes some other reason for it to, to be challenging. But that, that's not where we have to stop. That's just something to climb over. And um, my career, in my career, I, I went off to do a lot of on-camera work and a lot of television and a lot of film. And always in the back of my mind, though, wanting to, wanting to get back at some voiceover work. And so maybe now's the time, um, mm. hoping that um, there will be that for me in the future. But yeah, I, you know, yeah. Hollywood is tough on everyone. I would only hope at the very least that Capcom will get to hear this interview and certainly will be mindful of this interview if and when they need to cast the Alexia character again. Well, thank you. Mm. <laughs> I appreciate that. AVP Roo from Lisbon, he asks, what is your reaction to the changing traits of Alexia's character from the original game to Resident Evil The Dark Side Chronicles? In the original and in the manga comic adaptations, Alexia appeared to be a brilliant scientist who had some feelings for her brother, despite her awareness of his incompetence. But in the game Resident Evil Dark Side Chronicles, Alexia doesn't have these feelings and qualities. In this version, she's more cold-blooded, uh, more of a torturer, more aloof towards her brother. What do you think of this change by Capcom? I, I do think all is fair in love and sometimes war. But change is hard. I look at the different variations of Alexia 
within her too lies multitudes and mm. with the potential for any and all of it you know the queen is never without that is what makes us the queen well you'll be pleased to know that abb Roo is very much rooting for your incarnation the year is 1983 and i am afraid that my only daughter has become obsessed with the veronica virus even gone to the point of experimenting on her own body. This game is not over yet. Now you will see what real terror is all about. Alan Wempy Mao, he asks, where did you find the inspiration behind that laugh? It's, <laughs> it's unique and really shows her contemptuous attitude towards those around her. Ah, <laughs> oh, thank you. Yes, that laugh, that laugh. That laugh was well intended for her. I put my heart into that. Um, <laughs> I wanted that laugh to be as if life was being drawn out of her and a place for her pain to play out, to be known. <laughs> it's Alexia. Alexia? There really is an Alexia? <laughs> it is almost time, you genetically inferior siblings. <laughs> After her, you might know where Steve is. Let's go. So I, I developed this this personal technique, I guess I could say. Um, I developed this personal technique that would help me get to Alexia's laugh. It involved a lot of breath work and taking in um, a deep inhale, holding that breath till it was uncomfortable, and then pushing it out until at the very, very end of that breath and in the last drop of air, that's where Alexia's laugh and emotions lived. I think we all know those people with um, with their contemptuous attitudes and sarcastic laughs. And Alexia's was definitely inspired by somebody close to me. Okay. I won't pry, but what a fantastic answer. And, and Alan Wempy Mao, yeah, I think he'll be absolutely ecstatic with that answer. And you were brought up in England as well, because I think that, that English aloof type of accent comes across as well in, in your performance. Yes. At one point in my life, I actually had a very strong British dialect. I lived in England when I was a kid. Uh, it took me many years of theatre school and voice and speech to bring it back to more of a, a standard American. But when I um, when I get emotional or talking or or maybe have a beer in me, I, I, I <laughs> you can hear the, the British come out. <laughs> English actors are always cast as the enemies in Hollywood films, aren't we? Ah, um, oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, did Capcom, did they mention the English accent or is that something that you brought to it yourself? They actually, that was basically, that was, from what I remember, was the only uh, breakdown of the character, uh, that they were looking for somebody who could do a British or mid-Atlantic dialect. And... Um, I think that's uh, one of the the reasons I got the part was because I um, I carried that somewhat naturally in my back pocket. And absolutely perfect for the role. Fantastic. Now, Bloody Eye from Missouri, he asks, had Leela played any of the Resident Evil games prior to being cast as Alexia? Has she played any of those games since? I did not play prior. And I, like I was saying, I 
lived 20 years in Los Angeles without a television, and I, I'm just starting to get to learn how to use a remote control. <laughs> I, you know, I, I really feel that there is a, a required skill set for these video games. When I look at people playing these games, I mean, they're just so hip, and they just seem like they know what they're doing, and they seem to know something that I don't know. And um, yeah, I, I really believe it's a, it's a particular skill set, and I'm not there yet. Well, at the very least, please be proud to know that you were part of a video game that was very narrative-based, atmospheric-based, allowed the character to choose where they went within an open world mm -hmm. rather than a predetermined linear path. A genre referred to as survival horror, which, which effectively draws upon the atmosphere rather than the combat. So you're down to your last bullet. How are you going to use it rather than mindless violence where you're just playing out war zones? I knew that about Resident Evil, and I actually think that's super cool to be able to be conscious and choose. Um, uh, I heard that that was the first of its kind. And, yes. Um, I, uh, you know, it brings up the responsibility of accountability, which I, I, I'm assuming that a lot of other games don't necessarily have. Well, certainly not, no. And that's what threw me right into the game. The first thing that completely blew me away, really, was the depth of the character story and the tragedy behind the story. Mm -hmm. that, that was, to me, actually was written in a more intelligent way than a lot of dramas on television. Well, Bloody Eye, <laughs> he um, is not so much a question, it's more sort of sympathising with the challenge that you would have had because he brings up this wonderfully peculiar narrative that may have caused challenges for an actress coming into video games for the first time, where you've got a director where he would say to you, now we have a scene where you're naked, you're holding your deceased brother, you know, c cradling him in your arms, who just so happens to be dressed in drag as you. Mm. Uh, uh, your, your character then proceeds to sing a lullaby. Ah, uh, yes. Thank you for reminding me, bloody eye. Um... Uh, yeah, uh, I, I was I was given descriptions of of what what sort of scene and what the icon of the scene and uh, what the state of being is. <laughs> yeah, I, I I have no further comments about nakedness <laughs> while holding your deceased brother. Interact, yes. remember that. <laughs> <laughs> Nemesis, all the way from Brazil. He says, uh, like many of your fans, have got such positive sentiment they want to, to put across to you. Since these interviews first started, I've been waiting to hear from the actors associated with Code Veronica. Alexia has to be top of that list. Is that you singing Alexia's Berricose as you cradle your dying brother? If it is you, you have an incredible voice. Are you a professional singer and have you sung in other video games? Oh my goodness, Nemesis. Such, um, such such kind words and I hate to disappoint you here but again I, I majored in classical theater not musical theater and my singing voice is not that pretty so although I did do a few recordings of the song I am most certain that they VO'd my VO. <laughs> Nemesis goes on to ask, and something that I, I wasn't aware of, he says, I heard that you were also the mocap body double for Alexia. Is that right? Now, I don't think they would have had that with Code Veronica, but I think he's alluding no. to the fact, but I think he might be alluding to the fact that they based, did they base that very tall stature on yourself? Yes. Sorry, I was trying to find a respectful way to, to, uh, to phrase that. I made a total mess of it. <laughs> 
Um, yes, yes, it was. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, I, as an actor, you know, you're you're always being asked to provide your measurements and height and and multiple pictures. So that wasn't that unusual. But instead of sourcing it out for wardrobe, they they took that information to inspire her look and her creation. I'll tread very carefully how I asked that question based on your answer to the previous question, Leela. But uh, Nemesis goes on to ask. (laughs) (laughs) Nemesis goes on to ask. Okay, maybe we should skip that question. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. Okay, yeah, okay. Moving on, we've got Yuan the 11th, who's from Vancouver Island and is a huge fan of yours, Leela. Was really excited about this interview. He asks, are you aware that after Code Veronica was released for the Dreamcast, a graphic novel was made in Hong Kong and translated into English that gave further insight into your character? Well, first of all, thank you for for being such a big fan. That's um, incredibly touching. And second of all, I love Vancouver Island. It's totally the bomb, and not to mention my best friend lives there. So next time I'm there, we uh, <laughs> we should definitely have some tea or coffee. Oh, yeah, you are swooping with delight now. <laughs> yes, no, really, anything Victoria is in my heart. So what did they what did they do to her? What what was she like? Well, the one thing I like about the comics, and not getting too nerdy, was the fact that they didn't detract too far from the story. They very much were in line with the events of the video game. They really kept the story of the original game. Alexia's presented in those comics, and another place where she's represented, and we'll pass this on to you, is we hold at the site, we're very lucky and privileged to have Satoshi Nakai's concept art and sketches, which I know you're so looking forward to seeing, and I'm going to send those on to you. Private artworks that until recently no one had seen were very much private, and thank you very much to Ridley, a member of both Crimson Head Elder and Project Umbrella. That's another element of Alexia's character that you can see that I'll send on to you, Leela. Oh, that would be wonderful. Thank you. Definitely, yes. Now, Crimson Elder, he pops in with another question. Have your friends or family that may be video game fans ever asked you to reenact Alexia's dialogue in character? (laughs) I love this question. (laughs) I have a most beloved niece and nephew in Vancouver, and they are just starting to get into more advanced and specialized video games. However, I have yet to tell them that they have an aunt with an action figure. Oh my word, you're gonna, your cool status is going to go through the roof. <laughs> Let's hope. <laughs> um, now, thank you so much, Leela. You've been fantastic and so generous with your time. We come to our final question. And forgive me if anyone thinks their questions were missed out. There were some that were duplicated. Others, particularly a fantastic question by M. Gregg from New Jersey that asked about a comparison between your character and Alex Wesker, which um, perhaps we'll we'll let you play both Code Veronica and the game that Alex Wesker's from, Resident Evil Revelations 2. And then perhaps we'll we'll, we'll ask that question again. But it was a fantastic question. But I I think you may like to make, make a comment on the very least that you're one of only two strong female antagonist in the series Alex Wesker being the other yeah that's amazing uh to hear um again what we were speaking of earlier diversity is Mm. across the board is is so needed across the board and you know producers give the audience what they want 
So it is so important for us as an yes. audience and as participants and viewers to to express what it is we want to see, to express what it is <laughs> what we want. I was laughing there because the, the Resident Evil community are never quiet in coming forward in what they want and what displeased them, for example, with Alex Wesker meeting her demise in that game. So, yeah, be assured. And again, with their opinion on whether they were happy or not so in the fact that you weren't recast in lecture for Darkside Chronicles. That point you make about diversity, absolutely. And hopefully that will come forward in more releases from Resident Evil. We'll have to see. Yeah, it, it's so exciting where we can go from here. We've talked about Alex Wesker and comparisons with her. Another great question from M. Greg, which you may be able to answer more directly because it refers specifically to your character. Do you sympathise with your character at all? Was she a victim of circumstance and mental illness brought upon by a desperate man trying to use science for his own selfish image? M. Greg, such such great questions. So, so good and insightful. I would definitely say, absolutely, I sympathize with Alexia. However, I, I don't feel she is a victim of circumstance. If anything, I would say she is a survivor. She is looking for ways to self-preserve. I don't necessarily um, agree with all her ways, but um, I believe she is a survivor of circumstance. Oh, fantastically put. Thank you. Hmm, such a great question. These are such great questions. Uh, so insightful and deep. Final question from Jill Sandwich. He's from New Jersey. He asks, would you ever consider playing the same role again if Capcom wanted to remake Code Veronica? In the current climate, remasters and remakes of Resident Evil particularly are very popular and Code Veronica, as I'm so pleased you found out, has such a huge fan base. My goodness, without a doubt, in a heartbeat, I, w I would be so honoured to be revisiting the Queen. Well, fantastic. From hearing everything that you've said, Leela, who better to play her, just based on everything you've said about your understanding and appreciation of that type of character. They couldn't find someone with any better attitude and experience to play her. And thank you so very much for giving up your time, bringing the Queen, Alexia Ashford, to Crimson Head Elder. Leela Johnson, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. This has been so wonderful. What a pleasure. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. I can't tell you how much it touches me and, and amazing. Bye-bye. Halloween greetings, everyone. I am the Oracle Dragon from Crimson Head Elder, thanking Leela Johnson bringing us lots of treats and no tricks. But that could all change as we are now welcoming into our mansion oh, that double-crossing chief of police, Brian Irons. We can only hope he's kept in check by the actor who brought him to life, the wonderful Gary Crawford. made it this far by putting a bullet through the brain everyone's gonna die how could they do that to me after everything I've done for them Monsters from a 
my beautiful town. But if I have to go, I've got to take you with me. Everyone's gonna die. Enter Brian Irons, corrupt police chief of Raccoon City, and enter the actor who played him, Gary Crawford, who, with his other role in Resident Evil 2 as Robert Kendo, brought to the series two of its most iconic voices. I'm George Trevor, here to put your questions to and welcome exclusively an interview live on the Crimson Head Elder podcast, Mr. Gary Crawford. And I'm USS Command, and I look forward to dealing with the Chief of Police and Art Collector himself, Brian Irons. And me, the Oracle Dragon. Chief Irons, you are such a creep. Nobody wants to end up stuck. We're recording Halloween evening, and I can't think of a more insidious figure than Brian Irons to showcase on such a night and of course the talented and charming character and voice actor who gave life to such an iconic legend of Resident Evil 2 is Mr Gary Crawford who has generously torn himself away from trick-or-treat duty tonight (laughs) to be with us live for an exclusive interview. Gary welcome to the Crimson Head Elder podcast. Oh thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. And there's myself, George Trevor, from England, and we've got, all the way from Pennsylvania, staff member, the Oracle Dragon. (laughs) Hi, everyone. And uh, from Kentucky, staff member, USS Command. Howdy. Gary, you you, you were born in Ontario, Canada, as World War II due to an end. Um, Yes. What was it like as a young child growing up? In those early years preceding such a conflict? Well, I was born, <laughs> I was born in 1941. So my early memories lived in a little town called Kitchener, Ontario. And I remember the last days really of radio, of radio drama. And because um, we didn't have television at that point. So uh, I remember gathering, we'd gather around the, the radio to listen to one called The Shadow, which was a kind of a creepy one. And there was a woman named Fanny Bryce, who was a vaudeville star, and she had a character called Baby Snooks. I always remember that as a kid listening to the radio. Oh, that's interesting. Do you think maybe that's where the first seeds of passion were planted for your, for your voice acting work? No, the voice acting actually came really late because I started out as a classical actor uh, doing Shakespeare and Shaw and all of those. And then I went into musicals, did a lot of musicals. And uh, when I moved back from New York, back to Toronto, uh, my agent, who I signed with here, said, have you ever done uh, any voice work? And I said, no, I really haven't. So I started uh, booking. I had a good run of booking animated series. And um, this is the only game I did, but I did a lot of, of I had a series based on the Police Academy movies Free Willy. I had a lot of them. It was it was great, yeah. Did you find with that, particularly more so than the television, that theatre background, that that helped with the projection of, of voice for the voiceover work? Well, the big difference is uh, uh, most of the cartoon voice work that I did, I never used 
this voice that you're hearing now. They were all, <laughs> yeah. always character voices. I was the head villain on more animated series. Ah. So I never really used this voice that you're hearing now. It was always some kind of character voice. I'm very good at accents, so I did a lot of British stuff, Cockney stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, so that all came after. That was very late, actually. It wasn't until I moved back here to Toronto that uh, I started doing the voice work. Did you find yourself getting typecast with those villain roles that I'm sure was a great experience for the Brian Irons yeah. character? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, it was. Uh, I love doing it. It is. It's fun. It's very strange, though. I, uh, except for the Police Academy, where I did 65 episodes of it. Yeah. And which was very nice. Uh, and we would do them as a radio play with the whole cast standing around their microphones, and we would we would do it like a show. But most of the time, you go in and you just do your character by yourself, your lines in a studio. Mm. Very seldom do you actually work with another actor. We found that, haven't we, with the, many of the other voice actors we've been lucky enough to interview, that that's been their, their experience as well, that it's been very much in isolation. Yeah, it really is. As I said, the Police Academy, uh, that series, it was directed by a man uh, from Los Angeles uh, called Howard Morris. You would recognize his face from many, many old movies. He worked with Sid Caesar on the show of shows. He was a writer. He directed movies, Doris Day movies, and a wonderful, funny man. And he would come up from Hollywood to Toronto. We would do two episodes a day for five days. He'd come back a month later, and we'd do 10 more, and we did that. We did 65 of them. In true American fashion, did you find that m many of the villains you were asked to voice, that you were voicing in an English accent? <laughs> uh, as I remember, not necessarily all the villains, but I did do all kinds of accents. I mean, I say British because I've done a lot, a lot of that just on stage, and I'm good, I'm good at Cockney. According to my mother, I'm far too good at Cockney. So Is that get, right? <laughs> she, yeah, she's always trying to get me to pronounce my T's at the end, yeah. I think it's a charming accent. One of my favorite musicals that I, I did, I just loved doing, was uh, My Fair Lady playing <laughs> yes. Higgins. Eliza Doolittle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a great musical, a great part to play Henry Higgins. Professionally, you are very well-traveled. You mentioned the theater and the television acting, as well as the, the, the voice character acting. You've spanned different genres uh, from film right through to video game. But away from your profession, what would you say has been your most interesting travel experience? And what, did you, what could you say that you learned from it? Way back, I toured uh, in shows a great deal. I would be on the road for almost a year at a time, touring all of the United States. So I got to see that country, you know, completely. And we'd play for a week or two weeks and travel on to the next town. Recently, about two years ago, instead of taking a winter holiday in the sun somewhere, I saved up and spent a month in Paris in May. Oh, nice. And I loved that. That was probably yeah. my very favorite thing i want to go back oh yeah it's a it's a beautiful city paris absolutely city. yeah um, all right i got a few questions gary we're taking you back to the beginning of your long and established career what came first acting or your voiceover work and bringing you right back to the present are you still performing i am i've sort of gotten very picky about what i want to do i'm getting old i'm tired <laughs> i've been doing this a long time and uh I still sing. It's strange. I, I quit smoking cigarettes about 10 or 11 years ago. 
And um, for my age, I'm still singing notes that I used to sing when I was in my 30s. So I put together a little cabaret show called Songs I Never Got to Sing. And uh, I do that now and then in different venues and different versions of it with stories of my time in New York and people I worked with and uh, songs that I never got to sing. Okay. Are they songs from a particular era or do they do all across different genres? Kind of cross from my start in New York, which my first show was a little off-Broadway show called The Fantastics. And um, But I worked with some of the great composers, Stephen Sondheim and uh, John Kander and Fred Ebb and Charles Strauss and Lee Adams. I was there at a great time. So that was a real um, – I was very, very fortunate. Mm. And I also spent some time in Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> <laughs> That's when I, I refer to that as my – being a theater whore, period. <laughs> I did it for the money. I just imagine you standing up, looking at the ceiling as money falls down from the sky. <laughs> I'm yeah, just I doing would... it for the money. Well, that, <laughs> yeah, in, in sort of typical Brian Irons fashion. Uh, That's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you've made it this far. Not bad, girl. I'm not letting anyone leave my town. Everyone's gonna die! Performing these voices for Brian Irons and Robert Kendo was your first and last appearance in a video game. How did the auditions for these two roles initiate? And did Capcom approach you as a known actor or as a voiceover actor? I think I just... What they did, would they would give you... What they usually do anyway with uh, animated stuff is they give you a picture, a, a, a drawing of the character. And then you go, oh, okay... I think you might, looking at them, you might sound like this. And so you'll give them, you know, two or three different versions of what you think, you know, what you think that character should sound like. And usually the only person there is, I don't know if the director was there or not. Casting director was certainly there. And it, it's it's interesting, though, to look at a drawing of a character and go, okay, this. Oh, let me give it a shot like this. And uh Usually pretty close to what they wanted. Uh, were you uh, familiar with the Resident Evil series prior to Capcom making contact? And if not, have you since had a chance to play any of the installments of the series? Well, I, I'm ashamed <laughs> to admit I'm not a gamer. I I wasn't, no. Okay, Gary, we're going to travel back 17 years. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> we have yeah. Resident Evil 2. But there was another game before that was a prototype called Resident Evil 1.5. Your character, Robert Kendo, was also there, but he was named John, a oh. civilian seeking sanctuary in the police station. And Brian Irons, even though he was a villain, they had him originally as a supporting character. Were you involved with this version? I don't think so. Not as far as I remember. It's not ringing any bells, no. We were all thinking whether you had read different lines from those scripts when your your characters had slightly different incarnations. Uh, yeah, I don't think so. I might be hearing things wrong, but the uh, truck driver in Resident Evil 2 sounds like the chief of police? Or is that just me? Oh, it does sound like now that I remember it. I don't, I don't recall doing anything else, no. Must have been somebody else. Do you think okay. it sounds like my voice? Yeah. It sounded like the chief of police. I always also assumed it could have been like if you did do stuff for the beta and like the cut versions of the game, they might have reused dialogue. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. After Brian Irons' character was altered from the, its original incarnation and the prototype, 
Were you directed in particular detail regarding the considerable dark side that Capcom would now imbue Chief Irons with? You see a drawing of the character and then go from there. I find that more than saying, than than the description in words as to what what the character's about. If I see a, a drawing of it, I go, okay, this is my shot at what I think that that look, you know, what it would sound like. So that's really what I go on more than anything else. That's interesting. So you were very much shown the drawing that you were shown concept art, were you, of, of the two characters before you got any script? Yeah, just, just uh, you know, just drawings of, of both characters. And um, that's generally, even with animated stuff, what you usually get is, sometimes you don't even get that, but, the, you know, the smart people, they, they show you a drawing of it and then you go with what you think that that voice is going to be. For me, it is the drawing. Uh, well, also, there would be, as I remember on the script, a brief sort of description of what he was about, you know. Mm. So I definitely would know, yeah, that this, this was not a nice man. <laughs> huh. And now Gary Crawford reads for us in character as Brian Irons, a Crimson Head Elder exclusive from the legendary Resident Evil 2 file, Chief's Diary. September 23rd. It's all over. Those imbeciles from Umbrella have finally done it. Despite all their promises, they've ruined my town. Soon the streets will be infested with zombies. I'm beginning to think that I may be infected myself. I'll kill everyone in town if this turns out to be true. September 24th. I was successful in spreading confusion among the police as planned. I've made sure that no one from the outside will come to help. With the delays in police actions, no one will have the chance to escape my city alive. I've seen to it personally that all escape routes from inside the precinct have been cut off as well. There are several survivors still attempting to escape through the lower levels. But I'll make sure no one gets out. September 26th. I've had a change of heart about the remaining survivors inside the precinct. I've decided to hunt them down myself. I shot Ed in the back through the heart less than an hour ago. I watched him writhe in pain upon the floor in a pool of his own blood. The expression on his face was positively exquisite. He died with his eyes wide open staring up at me. It was beautiful. I wonder if the mayor's daughter is still alive. I let her escape so I could enjoy hunting her down. Later, I'm going to enjoy my new trophy. Yes, frozen forever in the pose I choose to give her. Who from Capcom can you remember working with? And did you have any close encounters with the Japanese development team regarding your character's direction? Nope, nobody at all. And... As I remember, too, I recorded by myself. I wasn't with any other, any of the other actors. And that's, I know when I do cartoon voices very often, most time, in fact, I'll go into the studio and I just do my lines without the other people, which is not, not a lot of fun. It's more fun if you've got, you know, yeah. the people you're actually acting with. But they will do that. They'll go in and do all my character lines in one session 
with nobody else, mm. and they fit it all together. Maybe not so much with with your character Robert Kendo, but with Brian Irons and other, other such characters that have particular relationships with the characters around them, if they have a relationship and, yeah. and, and an ongoing dialogue with a main protagonist, I'm sure it would be good to work off, off a fellow actor or actress. Oh, absolutely. In fact, when I did the Police Academy series, all of the main characters, we did it uh, like a radio play, and all of us together. And then what the director also did there would be the incidental characters who would be only on one certain episode. So the director would say, um, Gary, let me hear you do it. And I'd do the, vo- I'd do the voice. And then, uh, Joe, Joe, you do it. And he'd do it. And then he'd say, uh, Gary, let me hear it again. And then one of us would pick up the extra voice. We were auditioning on the spot. Uh, and I'm sure it aids for a better performance when you all are together, sort of sharing yeah. that, 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 that common atmosphere. Yeah, absolutely. No, it was. But most of the time, you're in your, you're there by yourself. When you first read for Chief Irons, what were your feelings about this extraordinary character and the nature of his sinister and brutal lines? I, fun. I love that. <laughs> Those are the kind of characters that you can have a good time with. It's always the bad guys who get the best stuff. I mean, I, I think, you know, the others are kind of boring. No, they're fine. <laughs> no, I like, I like playing bad guys. Oh, I'm terribly sorry. I thought you were another one of those zombies. Are you Chief Irons? Yes, that's me. And just who are you? No, don't bother telling me. It makes no difference. You'll end up just like all the others. That's the mayor's daughter. I was told to look after her, but I failed miserably. Just look at her. She was a true beauty. Her skin nothing short of perfection. But it will soon putrefy and she will turn into a zombie within the hour like all the others. There must be some way to stop it. In a manner of speaking, there is. Either by putting a bullet through her brain, or by decapitating her completely. And to think that taxidermy used to be my hobby. But no longer. Please, I'd really like to be alone now. Did it shock you in terms of it being your first video game script that a character such as Brian Irons had such a particular uh, you know he wasn't sort of a, a generic bad guy at all in the sense that he had some quite nasty preoccupations with women and, and, and this taxidermy I'm not sure if that even came up when they were talking to you about some of the things that us as fans and as players of the game that we learned from picking up various files yeah and, not really no um, no I mean they didn't they did not really give a lot of background in terms of, uh, you know, what what they were. I guess it seemed that, as I remember, that what I did, they liked. They seemed to pretty much like what I was doing. You must have been furnished with far less character biography than you were used to uh, from your theatre and film roles, particularly. Yeah. But how much character information did Capcom provide you with? And was there a disparity between the depth of biography you were given for either characters? 
as I remember, there was not a great deal. I mean, I would be literally saying probably a couple of sentence descriptions. And, and as you know, I said the, I would see what the character was going to look like. That's interesting. As an actor, you really pick up and, 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 and can find inspiration in, in the visual image, you know, the, the concept yeah. of art as opposed to the script. And, um, we, we, we've established that in terms of the art, but were you, in order to aid your performance, were you showed any in-game footage? For example, when you were preparing to deliver the screams of Brian Irons being ripped apart from within. Nope. No, oh, you hadn't been played the cutscene. Nothing. No, no, no. Okay. No. No, they, they did not give me much to. Speaks volumes for, for, for delivery, you know, particularly of, of Brian Irons, that, that um, you were able to give that performance. So it's true. You have been working with Umbrella. Then you must know about the G-Virus. What is it? Tell me! If you must know, it's the agent that can turn humans into the ultimate bioweapons. Superior to the T-Virus in every way. Genius behind the project. William Birkin. I'm sure you've already seen his little girl running around here somewhere. Sherry, isn't it? In case you haven't already figured it out, the monster that's been tearing my precinct apart is yet another product of the G virus. An ultimate bio weapon. Umbrella must be trying to cover its tracks. But if I have to go, I'm going to take you with me. Oh, my chest! I can't take the pain! funny listening to that clip i went oh wow that's what i sounded like huh <laughs> I, yeah i could do that <laughs> but no they don't give you much you know as i said it's more if they don't like what you're doing that no 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 you're going the wrong direction you know and i would usually give them several variations on on lines you can't put your finger on it and give a particular reason as to why a voice becomes popular or there's affection for it with someone like robert kendo that only delivers a couple of sentences it's really resonated and stuck in the memories of, of the fans the, the way that you delivered the, the who are you what are you doing here I've done no justice to that at all. You can look on YouTube for many poor and, and some good attempts at people trying to mimic that delivery. It really has held great affection with, with the fans. Maybe it has something to do with my classical Shakespearean training. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, actually. Yeah. <laughs> you never know. It all adds up, you know, a little of this and, you know, the classicals and the musicals and cartoons and, I don't know, I guess it's just, you know, experience after a while, too. Who are you? What are you doing here? Hold your fire! I'm a human! <sighs> Sorry about that. I thought you were one of them. What's going on in this town? Hold on. I don't have a clue. By the time I noticed something was wrong, the entire city was infested with zombies.
I haven't done any, I haven't even done any animated in quite a long while now. And I thought, I'd love to be doing some, you know, some voice work again. It's quite frankly, and, you know, in the business, it's fun. It's really, you really have a good time. And it's not hard work. The only time it was ever hard work when I had to do a dubbing from Japanese into English, a cartoon. And after one episode, I said, it's not worth the money. You can have this. I ain't doing that. <laughs> oh, my God. Dubbing. But uh, otherwise, voices, uh, it can be great fun. I would imagine with the video game, particularly concentrated over-the-top characters that, you know, perhaps you wouldn't would would yes. Well, it would depend, you know, I mean, you say over the top, but some of these series, I was playing some pretty over the top characters. You know, the movie Free Willy, and they did a cartoon series on that. And I played a double villain. He transforms from this businessman into a villain. So I did two. It was one character with two separate he wore, like, a mask that looked like a face. That way people didn't see him. He was part machine and stuff. His name yes, was The Machine. Right. You remember that. Oh, my yes. God. <laughs> yes. He was The Machine. That's right. Yeah, that was me. Ah, Oracle Dragon's a secret free Willy fan when she's not playing Resident Evil. <laughs> when I watched it, I kept hearing Chief Irons, and I'm like, oh, my God, it's him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's good. That's what he did on vacation. <laughs> yeah, yes. Oh, okay. oh um, yeah. Crimson Head Elder member, Survivalist, posted on our forum, Mr. Crawford's performance is especially nuanced, which is why Chief Irons is such a distinct and significant character, despite his somewhat brief appearance. Um, Did Gary base his interesting inflections on anything or anyone in particular? I don't think so. I think most of it, if I'm thinking about what he is saying, most of it just comes from the lines themselves. And as again, I said, the drawings, that's what gives me where I'm going with it. Not so much. You were saying, was I based on it on somebody or? Yeah, someone from your past or. Not really. No, Uh -uh. I was very pleased with the nuance because I think that comes from being not just an actor who does cartoons and everything. But I mean, I was a serious, still am a serious actor. Hmm. then you even bring that into those voices. But they're not quite one-dimensional. Okay. Well, not not helping to induce that dark atmosphere is a B-movie-style dialogue that sometimes does find its way into the scripts, uh, albeit much less with Resident Evil 2 than with the previous Resident Evil title, which had been criticised for having some hammy lines (laughs) and a stilted delivery. Did you notice this B-movie style or a sort of a peculiar style to the script not particularly no and i mean you know you take you take what you've got and you learn you know you make it work you know whether you think the dialogue is good or bad you know uh (laughs) you find a way to to make it believable and to make it interesting gary i got a question okay would you say there was any negative or challenging experience to overcome during the recording session, like communication barriers with the Japanese developers? I don't think the Japanese developers were there even. And, I mean, I just saw the English script, so I don't really have any relationship to, to the Japanese. So you didn't have much issues with them then? No, and they didn't seem to have any with me, so I was happy. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. During the recording sessions... Did you have a favorite character to perform as? Hmm. Whatever one I was doing at the moment. I mean, <laughs> I don't think I had a favorite. 
I enjoyed doing each one separately, and uh, they were quite. When I listened to these clips, I thought, "Oh yeah, they are two different voices." You know, definitely. Yeah, I was. I was surprised to see that they were performed by the same actor. I was completely shocked by it. But as I said, I, 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 in even the animated work that I've done, I rarely use my own voice that you're hearing now. Most of the time, it's a character voice of some kind. Can you remember any of the lines that you really like? Any iconic lines that was your favorite from either of the scripts of Kendo and Irons? <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be curious to look at them again. You know, look at them again. It's good you can't remember anything from Brian Irons. I think those some of those lines will keep keep you awake at night. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Were there any lines cut for the final release? Perhaps your character had more dialogue before editing, and do you feel either role was more suited for a longer script? The script I did was the one that was the final one. I don't think anything was cut. The script that I saw was the, the one that they went with. As you said, if the characters are popular, it's too bad that they were a little more prominent. Yeah, I think it would have been good certainly to have heard more from Robert Kendo, but also yeah. Brian Irons going a bit deeper into his psyche. Well, Let's hope they go deeper into his character in the remake. Calm down, Chief. What happened? Shut up! You couldn't possibly understand what's happened. Those monsters from Umbrella have destroyed my beautiful town. How could they do that to me after everything I've done for them? So it's true. You have been working with Umbrella. Post-game release, did you become aware of Resident Evil 2's huge commercial and critical success becoming the fastest-selling video game in North America? Well, no, because I'm not, you know, I'm not really a gamer. So I, it's the whole world that I am, I'm not into. So I wasn't, you know, wasn't following. So no, I was not aware of the popularity of it. Is still the game, the marker in terms of commercial success and critical success that yeah. all, all other Resident Evil game is held up to? Wow. I should ask for more money. <laughs> <laughs> But that's why they come to Canada, because we work cheaper. <laughs> I won't say we work cheap. I'll just say we work cheaper. In your years preceding your work on Resident Evil, had you become aware of how enormously iconic both your characters had become? No, absolutely not. It was all brand new to me. I mean, I got a call to go in an audition, boom, and I hadn't even heard of it. <laughs> and uh, so it was a whole new, whole new experience for me. I'm pleased at the very least then that we can have this interview with you just so that you can become aware how much fandom internet coverage yeah. exists for your characters. And I imagine you, you've been quite surprised, particularly by the supplementary material that does exist, even for a character like Robert Kendo, that you know you only gave voice to with a couple of lines. Oh, I'm surprised, very surprised. From your considerable experience as a television actor, would you consider either of your Resident Evil roles suitable for portrayal in a television drama? Mm, I don't think so, no. They're a bit extreme. For <laughs> Although in television, I mean, there's so much on TV that, you know, I, is out of my realm. I go, I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> Vampires, no, sorry, not interested. I think it'd be great to see Brian Irons on screen. I mean, I could see, actually see them more in a, in a cartoon series, you know. <laughs> Halloween greetings from USS Command. And now here is Gary Crawford's reading of Recovered Response, a file from Inserted Evil, marketing Resident Evil Operation Raccoon City. All the other media assets from Inserted Evil can be downloaded exclusively in the Rarity section of the Crimson Head Elder website.
My God, Tony. As if I've got time to waste on this crap. Yes, I shouted at the bitch, but quite honestly, she was going through my stuff, and that's the least she deserves. She's damn lucky I didn't shoot her, stuff her, and mount her right there. Oh, but of course, that kind of thing's frowned upon, isn't it? Yes, we've got to stick to the rules, because we're the ones enforcing them. God, these rules make me sick to the pit of my stomach. Back then, somebody steps out of line, you let them know about it, you know what I mean? And so what? I've got some pretty pictures. And maybe they cost more than Carol will see in a year. But hell, what I do with my money is my business. And I work damn hard for it, and not just for the Raccoon Police Department either. I'm a worker, Tony. You know that. And so long as I keep the city working like clockwork, then it don't matter what else I'm doing, right? And hear these words, Tony. Because Raccoon is my top priority. You can be sure that the work I'm doing is for Raccoon City because I won't let anything happen to it. This is my city with my rules. It ain't some corporate annex that can be bought. No matter what they think, they can only push me so far. If you could save either Robert Kendo or Brian Irons from their zombie apocalypse death, which one (laughs) would you choose and why? (laughs) Well... I don't know which one needs redeeming more. Uh, <laughs> Kendo, I guess. Yeah. Well, but slightly more deserving. Yeah, exactly. That would that would make more sense to me. Freeze! Who are you? What are you doing here? Don't shoot! I'm a human. Ooh. Sorry about that, babe. I thought you were one of them. What's going on in this town? Hold on. I ain't got no clue, darling. By the time I noticed something was wrong, the entire city was infested with zombies. But don't you worry, girly. You'll be safe in here. I'm keeping a close eye on things. Because if you save Chief Barnes, he's most likely going to stab you in the back. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah, like you did that police officer. There's a file that you find that Brian Irons has written where he describes that he shot a fellow police officer in the back. And, I mean, I remember even at the time I was quite new to video games and I was quite taken how brutal the writing was for something that was a little throwaway letter in in a video game where he, he refers to the look of pain on the policeman's face. He closed up certain areas and let people wander about and hunt them down. The Japanese background story for him, he mentions that he killed and stuffed his uh, secretary. <laughs> Bloody hell. <laughs> I remember him saying something like the look of pain on his face was was exquisite. Well, finally, Gary, what would you say your lasting memories are of your overall experience on Resident Evil 2? And what professional lessons do you think that you may have learned from bringing to life these wonderfully iconic characters? Um, I, Just simply, I think... I mean, you know, when I when I booked the job, I was delighted to get it. As I keep saying, that kind of stuff is fun to do. It's just fun. You know, it's not hard work and it's enjoyable. That means a lot. Whether I came away with anything, I mean, when you're an actor, you just go from one job to the next. And uh, every once in a while, you get reminders like this, things you haven't thought about in a long time, you know. I think two things that certainly for me comes across in, in your performance of, of both characters is, is, that you've mentioned is the fun aspect and, and that theatrical background. 
they're fun to play, and um, evil characters are great to get your teeth into, you know. <laughs> really have a good time. The good guys are boring. <laughs> I've stopped myself from asking you loads of questions about your appearance in Columbo. <laughs> <laughs> that must have been quite an experience, meeting Peter Falk. He was a wonderful man. He really was. He was an actor's actor. We had one scene together, so I had a whole day with him. And he was so generous in terms of camera time. And I'll tell you one story. You know, he had the funny eye, right? Yes. He had a glass eye. So I always check and see, uh, how's the eye looking? You know, <laughs> you talk that. And uh, one of the first shots, uh, we were in a jewelry store, I think. We did the scene and the director said, now, Gary, don't lean or you're going to be out of frame. Peter Falk, I always remember, he said, Gary, if you want to lean, lean. They'll adjust. <laughs> Harry over there called me this morning. He said, Peter, I want to adjust today. What a great guy. Yeah, nice man. Nice man. Well, it's been great talking to you guys. I, you know, appreciate it. It's been enormously generous and wonderful treat for us to record with you and to interview the actor who brought to life legends in in the law of resident evil very much beloved voices no surprise to hear that you enjoyed your theatrical experience in, in bringing those to life because that really comes across in your performance well, uh thank you so much for taking your time out to, to, to speak with us today okay well it's nice talking to you bye aaron rodney thanks gary for uh allowing us to interview you it's been i had to say quite eye-opening for me because i'm still quite surprised that you did voice act both Brian Irons and Robert Kendo. It's pretty surprising. I'd never expected him to have the same voice actor. Thank you for allowing us to do this. Gary, my friend Chris, he wants to say he respects your performance greatly and he's pleased that got me to talk to you. Very welcome. Thank you for coming to talk with us. Oh, well, him thank you very much. I'm very flattered. Take care. Well, Gary, thank you so much. Oh, it's, it, it's really made my Halloween night. Thank you. Great. Thanks, man. I'll talk to you. Exclusively for Crimson Head Elder, Gary Crawford reads for us in character as Robert Kendo. From Resident Evil 2 EX Files, Robert's Note. How could this have happened, Barry? The town's been overrun by zombies and has literally become a nightmare on Earth. As you know, my concern for the town is as great as your own. I have waited for your arrival on the assumption you were still in the area, but the threat of my shop being overwhelmed by zombies has become too great. I've already distributed the majority of weapons and ammo to the town survivors, including the raging bull who specially ordered. I hope you understand, given the circumstances. At any rate, I have no intention of pointlessly sacrificing my life and will be retreating to Stoneville. If you get this message, meet me there. We'll go fishing. And finally, to conclude this very special Villains edition of the Crimson Head Elder podcast, we've saved till last the most enigmatic, mysterious antagonist. Ada Wong and the greatly talented writer, painter and actress who played her in no less than three major Resident Evil releases. Of course, presenting Sally Cahill. 
Okay, lady. Where do you stand on all of this? Exactly what kind of group are you working for? There are some things in the world better off not knowing. This is one of them. <laughs> Fine. I can take a hint. Sally, welcome to the Crimson Head Elder podcast. Thank you so very much for this exclusive audio interview for our special Villains edition. Now, you have been the voice of an icon, not just of Resident Evil, but of the wider video game genre. Gamers who don't even play the games in the Resident Evil series know of the infamous Lady of Shadows, Ada Wong. You have lived with this hugely enigmatic character for the best part of two decades, portraying Ada across three major series installments. Now, before we come on to the questions that have come in from across the globe from your multinational fans, if I may ask first, what have been your favourite character and dialogue moments over those three game narratives? And have you always been satisfied with the role Ada Wong has taken? and with the direction that Capcom have written her in? Hi, George. Well, that's a great question. Um, I think some of my favorite character moments are always going to be with Leon. Um, Those were always the most mysterious, intriguing moments for me. And also, I sort of felt like there's a lot of action, uh, usually around any storylines that I have with Leon, so I like that. As far as where the writers were taking the direction of Ada, I was always happy because she started off, I think, sort of as a small minor player. And as people became more interested in her, the writers started writing more for her. So uh, the farther we went, the more stories they had, there was more for Ada to do. And uh, so I can say, yes, I liked the direction that the writers went. I've been waiting for you, Leon. What are you doing? You know what this is about. So just hand over the G-Virus. I don't believe this. Annette was right. About everything. That's why I told you to leave without me, but you wouldn't listen. Now hand it over. Don't make me shoot you. Sally, you have been ever so kind to invite questions from the global Resident Evil community and from right across the globe, your fans have been flocking to Crimson Head Elder and posting at our community forum questions for you. Now, many have gone to the trouble of posting audio questions and we've got some for you right now. Not just questions, but also sentiments, gratitude and absolute delight they would like to articulate to you in allowing us to have this opportunity to get a really personal insight into your work with the character of Ada Wong. I'll hand over to some of them now, starting with Resident Bloody Eye. This is the Bloody Eye from St. Louis, Missouri. Firstly, I'd like to thank you, Sally, for taking the time to answer these questions from fans. Sally, I just wanted to thank you for all your work on the Resident Evil games, and also for your stellar portrayal of arguably the most enigmatic character in the series. Now, Sally, if you don't mind my asking, I have two questions I'd like you to answer. My first question is, as an actress, 
what part of the character of Ada Wong do you find the most interesting? My second question is, what separates Ada from other characters you've portrayed before and since? In closing, Sally, I hope we're able to hear you reprise your role of Ada Wong in the Resident Evil 2 remake. Hi, the Bloody Eye. Those are great questions, and that's a... I love that really cool name, <laughs> Bloody Eye. Um, your first question, what's the most interesting part about Ada? For me, it was always what wasn't said. I had a little background story of her that hopefully came through in the lines or in between the lines. So I think it was the mystery of Ada that you don't know everything about her uh, and that you wonder what she's really all about and that I could create some of that myself and use that when I was recording. So I think it's the mystery of Ada that I think was the most interesting thing for me. The only reason I've taken on this mission is to get closer to my own objective. No matter what happens, I can't let anyone figure that out. Of course, hiding in the shadows isn't my style. I'll have to reveal myself to him and offer advice once in a while. The opening moves in this chess game have been played. There's no turning back now. And what separates her from other characters I've done? Well, a lot of other voice work I've done. I did a lot of comedy. I've done a lot of um, moms and things like that. But I found that I do have a, well, I don't know how to say it, a sexy side <laughs> that Ada brought out, which is something that I like to use, and I felt that um, we connected that way. Put your hands where I can see them. Sorry, but following a lady's lead just isn't my style. Put them up now. Bit of advice. Try using knives next time. Works better for close encounters. Leon. Long time no see. Ada. So it is true. True? About what? You, working with Wesker. I see you've been doing your homework. Why, Ada? What's it to you? Why are you here? Why'd you show up like this? <laughs> See you around. Ada! As far as Resident Evil 2, I don't know. I mean, I don't do Ada anymore. The only times I've done Ada now has been um, sort of involved in the in the movie. I think it was Retribution. And I... I did dub Lee Bingbing in that, but was really hoping that when they did the next one, um, because she had worked so hard, uh, and, you know, they just felt she didn't quite have it for the first one with her voice, but she's such an excellent actress. I was really hoping that she would be able to do the whole thing herself, uh, voice and all, American accent and all, when, uh, when they did the, um, the last, uh, final chapter. And I hope that answers your question. Sorry, Leon. Hand it over. Ada, you do know what this is. Hmm. Don't worry. I'll take good care of it. Ada! Here, catch. Better get a move on. See you around. 
Thank you, Sally, and thank you to the bloody eye. Now, on to our forum moderator, Crimson Elder, and he has the following. This is Andrew from Wales in the UK. Can I just say that your rendition of Ada is my favourite. I particularly enjoyed your performance in Resident Evil 2 and Resident Evil 4. How was you introduced into this role as Ada Wong? Can you please explain to us the process of how you received the job? When auditioning for the role of Ada, were you aware at that time that Ada is of Asian descendant? Did Capcom ask you to play the role in a particular accent or style? Hi Andrew, thank you for uh, uh, those kind words and great questions. Um, so as far as being introduced to Ada, I had already worked for Capcom and uh, for that company uh, for some other um, voices. Actually, I was hired to do a, a Japanese gangster girl and I had to actually learn Japanese uh, phonetically. And so I think they saw, okay, she can do voices and uh, she's good in the booth. And so they brought me in to audition for Ada. Uh, and at that time, there were several actress, actresses auditioning for it. And as far as um, the uh, knowing that she was Asian and doing an accent, yes, I knew she was Asian, but I think they were waiting to see who was coming into the booth and they just connected that voice with the image of Ada. So she could have been done with um, uh, with a, an accent, but I think when they matched me up with her, they decided to go in that direction and that's why she, she sounds the way she does. So they kind of um, went with what they heard and decided to do uh, more of an American accent for her. Uh, and so as far as the style is concerned, they wanted something sexy, sultry. That was the idea that she was a little bit different than the other characters, and um, I think that's another reason why they hired me. Sorry about that. When I saw the uniform, I thought you were another zombie. Recorded lines for Ada in 1998 for Resident Evil 2, in 2005 Resident Evil 4, then for some reason in 2007 a new voice actor performed the dialogue for Ada Wong for a game called Umbrella Chronicles. However, two years later you returned to voice the character again in 2009 for Darkseid Chronicles. Is there any reason you're aware of for this temporary change in voice actors? As far as um the Umbrella Chronicles and then the Dark Side, I think what happened was, you know, when we were recording, we were working with a wonderful director named uh, named Susan Hart, and it was a very close relationship that we had with her in a little dark booth in this basement in this recording studio, and I remember those days. And uh, it was a wonderful time, and we all connected very well. But I think as 
the game got popular and we had no idea it was going to become so popular, then I think they decided they were going to go and try some recording in the States with some other uh, recording directors and editors and things like that. And so they thought, well, I guess we'll hire, you know, actors in L.A., which were wonderful actors. But I think what happened was there was a response from the fans, from uh, people who love the games, about um, the fan following of the voices they had been um, used to. So they may have, you know, asked to have these voices back. And that may be why uh, they brought me back for um, for the dark side. So that's as far as I can guess on that one. <laughs> but that's what happened there. Are you all right? Yes, I'm fine. Thank you. You saved me some bullets. I'm Leon. This is Claire. And you are? Ada Wong. Hey, you're a cop here, right? Do you know a Ben Bertolucci? I'm looking for him. Sorry, but I just got assigned here. What are you doing here? Ben has information regarding this crisis. What kind of information? Not sure exactly, but that's what I'm here to find out. So Ada is one of, if not the most mysterious character in the Resident Evil series. We don't even know her name. We all have to pretty much make up our own guesswork about Ada's true intentions. Who do you think the real Ada Wong is? Does she have good intentions, bad or indifferent, and is only interested in money and furthering her career as a spy? For me, I love the fact that she does have that mystery and and as far as who she really is and is she good or is she bad, as an actor you never really want to think your your character is bad. She's always doing something for a good reason, even though the actions in the end may seem bad. And I think with Ada, um, she doesn't intentionally want to be bad, but my background story for her is that there's pressure for her to do what she wants to do, what she has to do, and that forces her into positions where she um, may do something that's uh, that seems bad to others. So, uh, and also, I like the mystery of holding all that back a bit from from everyone and letting people guess. The Salazar family, Castellans for generations, possessed the ability to control Las Plagas. The organization's hypothesis is that a unique frequency of sonic wave sensed only by the parasites is used to control them. The same principle used in dog whistles. This was inferred through the analysis of a tissue sample we retrieved. The tissue contained an organ presumably used for sensing sound waves. I've seen cult members carrying ceremonial rods, and I wonder if they emit these sounds. Of course, this is purely theoretical. The organization needs samples of the parasite to confirm or disprove these theories. That is the main objective of my mission, and the only way to prove my loyalty to the organization. In the drama album, Ada retires from her role as a spy to find Leon and live a normal life. Would you prefer this ending for Ada, or would you prefer to go out with a bang, so to speak? I don't know how to answer that one. I'm a little on the fence, <laughs> because of course I want her to jump in a helicopter and fly in, up into the horizon uh, shooting at people. But at the same time, when I was in the booth, I would often have the earphones on, the headphones on, and I would have Leon's voice playing back to me. And that was always a very 
interesting. He had a great voice, and I felt there was a lot of chemistry between us. So I can see why Ada might end up in that situation. So I, I don't know. I, I can't quite answer that one. I'm, I'm on the fence about that one. Leon S. Kennedy, perhaps the most essential part of this mission. This story wouldn't be complete without him and his formidable survival skills. He has what it takes to survive against overwhelming odds. I've seen him do it before. And he's improved since then. Practically a genius, he has smarts and he knows how to use them. On top of that, his service as a government agent has toughened him up. I'll work behind the scenes to make him think he's the primary player here. Though it may be naive of me to think that'll be easy. I don't think I need to worry. Leon's been through worse and always comes up smelling like roses. His consistent luck is part of the reason why I have absolute and unshakable faith in my vision of what's in store for him. Now, staying with the staff, we have a selection of questions from site administrator, the Oracle Dragon. Over to you, Oracle. Hello, I am the Oracle Dragon. I want to thank you for joining with us, and I have some questions for you. Ada is considered one of the badass characters in the game series with a credible balance of intelligence, strength, and sensuality. How do you find that balance vocally? Oracle Dragon is another great name. Um, as far as that balance between being a badass and being sensual, um, I tended to push her towards the sensual and mysterious no matter what she was doing. That was kind of the, the balance was a little bit um, swinging in that direction. And I thought that was okay uh, because I like her to be a specific thing and uh, stick to it. So I tended to put that mystery and that uh, seductive quality uh, throughout everything that she did. Do you feel that Ada is part of you? A mysterious woman with a unique way of handling things? Um, well, yes, of course, every character is part of you, or you probably wouldn't have gotten the job in the first place. So I think there is a part of me in her. And sometimes I find them, you know, if I'm in a certain situation, if I'm standing in line, or if something gets a little tense for me, I might use my little Ada voice to get out of it. <laughs> Excuse me, could you move over, sir? Something like that <laughs> tends to work for me. Were you ever lost in translation with the Japanese staff? Um, I never really had a problem with that because I had usually had such great directors. They'd already prefaced everything that they wanted to talk about, the direction they wanted to take me through. I often saw them in the booth nodding their heads or speaking to the director. It was a very quick three or four sentences. She would nod. We would do it. There was never really a problem that way. Have you gotten any chance to see any artworks, video, or gameplay of Ada? Um, you know, when I first recorded... Ada, I wasn't really up on how popular she was. I didn't know. Uh, and then I got a new laptop, which I sort of got on. And one day I just researched Ada and was really surprised to see, um, you know, the tributes to her on YouTube and the artwork. And, and I was stunned, actually, uh, that she had become so popular. So, yes, I did look at those things and I really enjoyed them and thought some of the artwork that people had done on their own was fantastic. And I love the YouTube tributes to her and the music set to them. I thought it was really cool. Did you think it was kind of weird having to do an alternative timeline version of the games you had already done with Resident Evil, like the Dark Side Chronicles? We'll take anything. You want to give us an alternative 
timeline will do it. Put us in outer space, put us back in the future, whatever. Any opportunity to try something new is always interesting. So yes, I actually enjoyed that. Have you gotten a chance to meet any of the other voice actors or actresses over the years? Like join them up at any conventions or anything? Or even just meet them in public? Um, for some reason, I was always running into Rick Waugh in the green room uh, where the actors sat. Sometimes Allison Court, who I love and adore, uh, but also Rick Waugh. I always was happy when I would see him because he's so funny. And he always made me laugh and had funny things to say. So uh, those are the two I tend to run to the most. Do you recall any bloopers or funny stories you can recall? Because if there are, we would like to hear them. Anytime you're recording, there's always bloopers because you're always swearing. <laughs> you're, you're say a line, I might go, Leon, and then you start to cough and you go, oh, crap. And they have to cut that. So there's always bloopers, but there were so many of them. I don't know if I can think of a particular one. Although I know any time I had to do any action, uh, because you had to record jumping and hitting and thrusting and getting hit in the stomach. So there would be a lot of <gasps> things that you would have to do. And after doing that over and over, 10 or 20 times, um, you get a little dizzy. You start to hyperventilate and you start to giggle. And so there's a lot of laughing in between punching and, and fighting and jumping. And you're doing a lot of <laughs> things like that. And if you do that over and over again a couple of times, you start to hyperventilate, which I did. And then I went out into the green room and I think I fell on a couch. And, and someone said, what's wrong with you? And I said, I've been fighting too much. Something like that. So that was kind of a funny moment for me. So those would probably be the bloopers. Too many, too many to remember. I thank you for those questions, Oracle Dragon. On to site resident Vito, and he would like to ask Sally, was it really you who voiced Ada in the non-canon Paul Anderson film Retribution? Yes, I did. Uh, I think it's uh, common knowledge now uh, that, that that happened. Um, and the, the reason that happened was uh, Lee Bingbing, who's celebrated in her country and is a wonderful actress, very hard-working actress, and according to Paul Anderson, who has a lot of respect for her, worked very hard in that role, but just couldn't quite get that uh, American accent because she has an Asian accent. And to stay true to the games and the fact that he had put the real characters from the games in the movie, as a lot of fans had wanted, you know, he wanted to replicate everything as much as he could uh, as closely to the games. So then he decided he probably would have to dub her, and he brought in um, three actresses. It was myself and the other two, and had us record our voices, and the, the tapes were sent to him. And I think probably because I was, um, a, you know, one of the first to do her and a fan favorite, there's a sentimental following for me, and I think he just liked the connection of my voice with her, with uh, Lee Bingbing's portrayal of Ada Wong, and so he chose me to do the voice. And uh, when he did that with some direction from him, I was, he was in L.A., and I was in, in Canada in a booth, and we were talking uh, that way. And uh, so that's what happened. Now, on to AVP Roo, who has been a fan of your Sally, stretching all the way back to the 1998 Resident Evil 2 Ada Wong. He would like to know about your work with the Resident... Well, we say the Resident Evil movie Retribution, but as I've mentioned, these are non-canon films, non-official to the canon storyline. But all the same, you have worked on this interesting, if albeit particularly unpopular genre among the Resident Evil fans. And he'd like an insight into your work with Resident Evil Retribution and what your opinion in general was of this movie. 
I know, yes, Tiss and Die Hard fans and movies are not that popular, and you want to know what I think about that. I was just happy that they were actually making movies about the game. Um, whether they stayed true to the... Uh, yeah, I did question why they didn't put uh, a lot of the characters from the game directly into the movie and why they sort of went off in another direction. But I was happy to see at the end that they did try, that uh, Paul S. Anderson did try to uh, bring the characters, the real characters from the game, into the movie. So that's something that made me uh, improve my opinion of the movie. And uh, as far as working on it, uh, I enjoyed it because I love... I love dubbing. I've dubbed before. I love watching the movie. I love the actual technique uh, and the artistry of trying to match your voice up um, to the to the actress. And for a little while when the movie was previewing, nobody actually knew. A little bit later, they kind of figured out that she'd been dubbed. But we were very happy that they, a lot of people didn't know that uh, Lee Bingbing had been dubbed, which means that uh, for a little while before they discovered it was me and recognized my voice, we had done a good job with that. So that's one thing I did like about that. I do like, I like all kinds of art forms uh, in in relation to film. So uh, of course I'm I'm looking at it from that from that angle when I look at um, at retribution. They're not real. It's a holographic projection. When they were running a simulation, trust me, no one was looking at this guy. How do you think Umbrella populates these test scenarios? Hundreds of people dead each time they run a simulation. Umbrella imprints them with basic memories. Just enough to ensure a correct emotional response to the threat of the biohazard. In one life, she could be a suburban housewife. The next, a businesswoman in New York. The next, a soldier working for Umbrella. And now, on to Ray Redfield a site resident all the way from Malaysia who went to the trouble of posting an audio question for you and some very kind sentiments, and I'll pass over to Ray Redfield right away. Hello, I'm Ray Redfield from com, and people call me Siti, and I'm from Malaysia. And I just want to say to Miss Cahill that she is such a great voice actor and she did such a great job with a very mysterious and seductive vibe and she did a great job in giving that theme fatale aura ada wong is one of my favorite characters you're such an amazing voice actor i cannot believe i'm actually recording questions for you since resident evil 2 and resident evil 4 are my most favorite games of all time yeah there you go i hope to hear your voice again in the upcoming resident evil game thank you so much for this opportunity here are the questions. As a woman, how often do you find a femme fatale such as Ada Wong in real life? And do you have some kind of reflection of yourself in the character? Ray Redfield, thank you for your wonderful compliments, Ray. I really appreciate that. Are there femme fatales in real life? And oh, I hope so. <laughs> I think uh, women are, you know, we're really well-rounded. We are angels, and we can be devils, and we can be wonderful, we can be horrible. I think we should be allowed to be everything, and I think there's a little femme fatale in all of us. I know there is in me, and I, I hope there is in you, Ray. Um, am I in the character? And I, I, I think so. I mean, I don't actually run down the street, you know, with a gun and jump over things and, uh, you know, and jump into helicopters and things like that, but... I think there's an element of her in me, otherwise I probably wouldn't be able to play her. So I hope that answered that question for you. 
What's the news on our friend, Leon? He's not making it easy. The sample? Sadler's got it. It seems he sniffed out our little game. Perfect. Just so we understand each other clearly, I don't trust you, nor does Wesker. If you try to do anything clever, I will kill you. Is that so? You know, I met Wesker long before you. We'll see soon enough if you did. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> That's a large thing you have there. But I don't like it when men play rough. I'm sorry. I jumped the gun when I reported you dead to Wesker. Hmm. Think of all the paperwork I would have to fill out if you were to show up alive. From your experiences in voicing Ada Wong and through all the scripts that you have read, do you reckon that one day Ada and Leon could be an item or do you think there will be any more development on your relationship in the upcoming Resident Evil games? I've sort of uh, spoken to other people about this. It was always a chemistry for me. I, I found his voice wonderful to listen to anytime I was in the booth with the headphones on and I really felt the chemistry between us. So. Yeah, there's something going on with those two, and uh, I think they should end up together if they don't. I think they should. You're losing a lot of blood. Don't move. I've got to remove the bullet. Who was that? She was about to kill you. That's my problem, not yours. Fine. Don't tell me. But you better start working with me here. Or we'll never make it out of this alive. Please, Ada. I need your help. I can't do this alone. You're right. I'll help you. Thanks. But first, we need to find the others. Don't die, Leon. I owe you. And my final question is, since both of them are my favorite female characters, who do you think is better, Claire or Ada? I love Ada the best. <laughs> Ada all the way, go Ada for me. So I hope that answered your questions, Ray, and thanks for your lovely words. Now, as I'm sure you're finding out, Sally, we have a wonderful community of your fans at Crimson Head Elder. And one of our most supportive forum contributors, Samurai Edge, posted this at our forum. I was really hoping Sally Cahill would be coming up. This is just beautiful. I have one question for this incredibly talented woman. And Samurai Edge asked the following. I understand you are an artist who also works on gothic landscapes, among other work. Have you ever done anything based or inspired by the Resident Evil universe since the games are filled with inspirational gothic locales? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, the tones and shades is a little more apocalyptic in some of the areas and darker, very darker tones in the games and some of the paintings that I do. But what actually it has um, influenced me in is what I'm working on now, which is uh, trying to take my artwork into more of a graphic novel formula. And the artwork from the games definitely would influence uh, and has influenced uh, a direction I might be going in. It, it Maybe not as dark as as Resident Evil, but yes, I can say Samurai Edge, I think there's going to be probably some influence from the game that would, or has, inspired me to, to work on the work I'm working on now. So thanks for that question. And now on to Crimson Head Elder resident James Marcus, who asks, what changes has Sally experienced in production values between Resident Evil 2, Resident Evil 4, and then through to Resident Evil Darkside Chronicles? I, I looked over the, the games. I'm trying to remember now what I had thought at the time because I, I'm always assuming that the production values are getting better as we get more money and get more popular with the games. But honestly, I feel it's a question that you yourself, James, could answer better than me. I, I, whenever I'm playing the games, I'm not so much looking at the production values but thinking about what I could have done with my voice, where we could go with that character and things like that. So I don't know if that's something that... I can really answer as well as I think you actually could because you probably are looking at it a little bit more than me right now. So I'd love to hear what you have to say, James. Run! Ada! can't just leave you behind. I'm just a woman who fell in love with you. Nothing more. Uh. Ada. No. Another hugely supportive forum contributor, Alan Winpei Mao, would like to ask the following question. Were there special influences that you were drawing on when playing Ada Wong? And that's a very interesting question for me because, yes, um, I noticed that I was very drawn and attracted to reruns of movies and, and television uh, shows from the 60s um, where women had much softer sensual voices. I would listen to even Raquel Welch or uh, Tuesday Weld or um, Uhura in Star Trek. There were a lot of actresses in uh, TV shows and in, in movies from then who had a much softer uh, sensual appeal. Nowadays, uh, very often what you hear is a, a hard line sort of uh, grating noise that a woman makes often when they're, I mean, they have to be stronger and they have to have a stronger presence in their voice if they're going to be a newscaster or something like that. Uh, but a lot of that softness, that um, sensuality is lost. And I wanted to recreate that. So I was drawn to those uh, old movies and TV shows to use some of that to influence Ada. Back to another Crimson Head Elder staff member and our forum moderator, USS Command, posted this audio question. This is USS Command from Hazard, Kentucky. Have you had a chance to actually hear the other portrayals of Ada Wong? If so, what is your opinion on them? 
I think I did when I was auditioning for to dub the movie Retribution. I think I might have heard samples of their voice on the internet to know, you know, what other choices were being selected for the audition and, you know, what direction he was thinking of. And um, so I haven't heard a great deal of the voices, but what I can say, what I do like about the voices that I've heard of the other, I think it's two or three actors that, that do it after me, was that they didn't try to copy me. It sounded like they were doing their own thing and they weren't trying to recreate uh, the way I had done Ada and they were trying to do their own interpretation. And so that's one thing I did like about uh, the, little, the little bit that I heard of the other voices. So I hope that answers your question. Crimson Head Elder resident Arles487 would like to know, with the perspective and experience you've gained in the years since voice acting for the games, would you voice the role any differently today? I don't know if I would. I mean, it's it's interesting. I, I've i listened back over old recordings and I go, oh, I like that. That sounds pretty good. Sometimes I cringe at some things I've heard in the past, but I, I never really feel that way about it. Maybe the one would be the, I would have re-recorded the one where I had the throat infection and there was dark side and I may have wanted to do that one over, but everything else other than that, I think I'm I'm pretty happy with. So thanks for your question, Arles487. Now we get to a very special fan of yours, Ada Jill, all the way from Ecuador, who has taken on the Ada Wong character and expressed her passion for her artistically through art and cosplay and photography. She asks if you would be so kind to say a personal hi to her and the following question. Have you played any of the Resident Evil games? And if so, which one's your favourite? Ada, I hope I'm saying this right, Ada Jill or Ada Jill. Um, I understand that you do a lot of artwork and you do cosplay as Ada and photos, and I think that's wonderful, so I give you a big hello. Hi from Ada Wong to you, Ada. And uh, uh, your question is, what games do I play? Which ones do I like? I do like two. I do like four. Um, my problem is when I do try to play the games, I get too involved in the, in, in the work I remember doing there. And I, I should really not follow my own character because I find that I'm then, you know, um, first of all, I know what's going on. And secondly, um, I'm thinking about the voice and oh, maybe I should have done this. And oh, this is where I did that part. So kind of, I get, I kind of get taken out of the game thinking about the work I did. I know that there was one game where I did a nice monologue and I really enjoyed that. Uh, and I liked listening back to that as well. So that's something that, uh, that I really like about the games when I was playing them. And I, uh, I should play them more, uh, but uh, I do tend to get involved in them in a technical way when I'm when I'm listening to the game. So I hope that answers your question as well, Ada. And now on to Albert Wesker 187, another one of our vigilant forum moderators. He's recorded an audio set of questions, and here they are now. Good morning, everybody. This is Albert Wesker 187 from Rio Grande City, Texas. And let me first say that it's going to be an honor and a privilege to have Miss Sally Cahill answer all our questions on our website. If you had to do it all over again, and knowing that what you know now, would you still have chosen voice acting as your career path? My second question is, how has voice acting changed or enriched your life as both an actress and a person? Hi, Albert. Um, your first question is about voiceover acting as a career. Would I do it all over again? And would I choose it? And to tell you the truth, it came upon me as an accident, and it actually chose me, and I'm so happy it did. Uh, my agent 
just thought I should do voiceover. I didn't know much about it and sent me to meet a, a casting director for voices. And as soon as she met me, I was working right away. And, and it was a whole world I knew nothing about. So I started immediately working in voice. I had been a stage actress and still am a stage actress and a film actress. And I uh, was very happy to have this other source of income. And it definitely enriched my life when I, I had a baby and I was able to actually bring my baby to set, which you can't do when you're on film, and have him in a front carrier when I did some uh, some voicing, not actually for the Ada character. That would have been too hard, but for some other commercials and voiceover work that I did. So it definitely enriched my life. Do you consider yourself a person as someone who does what she does for the sake of art or someone who does voice acting for some other reason? I think as an actor, unfortunately, sometimes you're forced to do things for reasons you, you don't want. I try to avoid that as much as possible. That's why maybe you don't see me out there as much as you would because I try to avoid things that I don't think would make me feel good. But the other thing is I, I do do things because, uh, I, I like the, uh, the technical artistry of it, uh, the professionalism of it. And voiceover work, I really enjoy the technical side of it, uh, listening to how they put the tape together, the editing, the whole experience of it, not just mine, is something that I take a lot of pride in. So if there's any artistry in that, uh, then that's why I'm there and that's why I like it. So I hope I answered your question, Albert. Now on to site resident Nemesis. He's posted in our forum and he would like to ask the following. My question for Sully Cahill centers around her inclusion on this villain-themed podcast because I don't see Ada as a protagonist or particularly as an antagonist, but something far more interesting in the middle. So what does Sally think about finding herself in the company of such out-and-out villains as Alexia Ashford and Chief Brian Irons? Compared to their deeds in the game, would Sally agree Ada has been treated harshly to find herself on a podcast with these two unashamed villains? I don't know where else to put me. It's kind of hard I am in a in a strange situation. Um, am I being treated unfairly because I'm being here with the villains? And I don't know if I would call myself a villain. I definitely don't think I'm a victim. And I do think I, yes, fall somewhere in the middle. And I do feel it's because that mystery of that storyline puts me in a position where in some ways I feel that I'm forced to act in a way to survive. Uh, and very often, as I've said before, actors don't often think of themselves as evil, they think they're great and they're doing the right thing that they have to do, although it may become uh, something that hurts other people or is evil to other people. So uh, hopefully I've answered that. I'm perfectly fine in that wonderfully villainous company that I'm in right now. Long-term Resident Evil community member M. Greg and site resident since 2011 recorded the following question for you, Sally. I just wanted to say thank you. This is an honor and a privilege of this opportunity. I am a longtime fan of Resident Evil. I'm a longtime fan of Ada Wong. And you are a legend. My first question is, do you consider Ada to be a victim or a villain? Most of the protagonists in the series can definitely be said to be victims, if not all of them. And Ada falls somewhere in the middle. I believe she is classifiable as an antihero. Others think that because of her work against the protagonist, particularly Leon, she is clearly definable as a villain. But what do you say? Is she hiding innocence or is she truly sinister, truly menacing, and she just holds it back? My second question is, what is your opinion of her working relationship 
with the central villain or one of the central villains of the series, Albert Wesker. I found their scenes together to be some of the more interesting moments in the games because there weren't a lot of them. Whatever they did happen, they would leave me personally with more questions. What's their relationship like? Have they ever met face to face? And what do you think would happen if they were to meet face to face? What do you think a confrontation between these two would be like? Would he consider her a threat? Would she consider him a threat? Thank you. You're right on there. Emberg was saying I think she's an, an anti-hero. And I love that word. And I think I think she has a complicated storyline. And it is connected to Wesker. And it's interesting that you've noted the interesting repartee between the two of them and and the the chemistry between them. I do think they have a past. Kind of developed one in my head for them. And I think it's actually even been discussed with me and that actor. I do think we have a past. I think we may have met in the past. I definitely feel that she is forced into some of the issues that she has to face with with uh, with Wesker. And also, I think if she ever did meet him again face-to-face, there would be some kind of reckoning between the two of them. Uh, so that's all I'm going to say about that uh, that relationship. So I see you've managed to arrive at the village on time. Yes, but nobody remembered to roll out my red carpet. The villagers there are all being controlled. They automatically attack any intruders. Ring the church bell. That should quiet them down for a while. Hmm. Sounds like they're good, obedient boys and girls. Unfortunately, time is not a luxury we have. We have an irregularity. The researcher we planted has been discovered by the Illuminados. You must be talking about that vagrant Spaniard. So where is he now? He's held captive in an abandoned house located northeast of the village. Until he recovers the sample, we can't let him die. You don't need to remind me. Luis, Sarah. And I thought I was high maintenance. And that U.S. government lapdog, Leon. He's nothing we need to worry about. He's a survivor of Raccoon City. We can do without the extra distraction. Take him out. Leon. Leon, I'm sorry, but I can't be seen with you. Quite a jolly mess he's made, that Leon, but all for the better. Sadler's people have fallen into a panic. Their destruction is only a matter of time now. Once he gets Ashley back, his job will be finished. He'll no longer be a factor. No, I'm leaving Leon to Krauser. Hurry up and retrieve the sample. Maybe you forgot, Wesker. I don't always play by your rules. It wasn't easy, but I'd say the mission was a success. Getting my hands on the sample was my initial objective, after all. But I've sent Wesker a different present, just as the organization ordered. Pretending to work with him was entertaining. Albert Wesker. I wonder where he's headed next. Something tells me this whole affair has just been a taste of what he's got in store. To him, Umbrella represented power. He used it to hide behind while he made plans of his own. And now the Umbrella's been folded. 
With the sanctuary of their old umbrella ruined, those in power struggle to erect a new one. They are aware of their own crookedness and deceit as they engage in their personal war of light and darkness. That's why Wesker will stop at nothing in opening his new umbrella. The giant pharmaceutical corporation S maintains medical and drug facilities the world over. We know for certain that Wesker has been in contact with them following Umbrella's demise. There's no doubt we'll next hear from him there. The organization must remain vigilant. But Wesker's not stupid. He knows exactly what the organization is thinking. He and I still have time to continue our little game of cat and mouse before the next move is played. This mission may be over, but the battle is just beginning. Another site resident and a huge Ada Wong fan to post a question in our forum is Morpheus Duval. And he asks with an appreciation that you may not wish to comment, can you share any insight into why you think you were overlooked for the Resident Evil 6 Ada Wong? I think that was in that uh, scenario where I had been doing the voice for a while and then they went down to the States thinking it's popular, we'll get someone new. They got someone new and then they had some flack about that and asked to have me back. At the time they asked to have me back, that's when I, I think I had that really bad throat infection and we were recording somewhere in the States. I think it may have been the one where we had, a, instead of having the director with me, they were down in the States and we were piping it all in and I was speaking to them through headphones. And I think it was a, it was a difficult time for me, vocally and uh, artistically, to work that way. Um, it's a while back now, so I'm trying to recall that one. And then I think they decided, well, we'll go back down to the States and uh, and use another actress down there. And that's what they did. And I think they may continue to do it that way. I mean, I was the first Ada. Obviously, my voice has uh, aged a bit as I've gotten older. It's a little bit lower. Uh, and I think... You know, I'm just really happy I was the first Ada and I was able to use some of my persona to actually create that character from scratch. And I think there'll be many Adas to come and um, I'm sure they'll all bring what they bring to the table very well. As far as the future for Ada, uh, as I said, I you know, I think that um, if it's a future of continuing on as a character in Resident Evil, I hope she goes on for years and years. Who knows what's going to happen to her? Some say she ends up, will end up just with Leon, and and others say she, you know, who knows? She goes out with a bang. There's there's different um, attitudes towards what should happen to her, uh, but I hope there's adventure, no matter what it is that happens to Ada. I mean, Resident Evil is such a an iconic game. Now I'm hoping it just goes on and on, and as you know, as I get older and my voice gets older, of course. Other people will take on this role, and I think like Santa Claus, there'll always be a new one playing it, and I think, who knows, it may go on for decade after decade with new Ada Wongs all the way down the line, and I'm just really happy that I was the first one, so that's that's great. Sally, it's been an absolute pleasure and a privilege to interview you, and it's been particularly kind of you to go out of your way to find this time to pre-record your answers so all your fans can have the additional personal insight into hearing you voice your answers. So from me, George Trevor, and from the wider Crimson Head Elder community, all your Resident Evil fans, thank you very, very much, and we hope to hear from you very, very soon. And thank you. And thank you to George. Bye. Can you see that area behind me beneath the red tinted sky? That 
is what's left of Raccoon City. Our platoon is cut off. No survivors found. I'd rather starve to death in here than be eaten by one of those undead monsters. We're both gonna die. Wait, don't shoot. Down. I lost all my men because of her. All is lost. Cries of agony. Scourge. Unity breeds power. 